When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number 142. Let's roll. And I was very um, blown away this week. We had a Pretty, uh, pretty cool happening this week. Um, you know, I, I don't know, you know, there's a lot of new listeners I, I know from the player profiler feed, a lot of longtime listeners. And I don't know if you get into this this space, you know, even just as a fan of fantasy football, you start to, uh, you know, get a little starstruck because you're, you know, you're, you're dancing in the same streets as people like Evan Silva and JJ Zacharyson if you're on Twitter or you start to sort of interact with people, whether they're, you know, small, big or whatever, but then you find some other smart people and it just becomes this really neat community. And, uh, you know, that wasn't something that I anticipated ever happening for me or whatever, when I started to just sort of dabble in, you know, fantasy football, Twitter. And, you know, this was many years ago and and here we are. And, uh, you know, the Scott fishbowl is one of those things. Um, you know, we, we did the potathon. The potathon last week was, you know, was pretty cool. I can't imagine, you know, uh, who watched the whole two, two and a half, three days, whatever it was. But, you know, all the all the people in the fantasy industry had a had an opportunity to be on the potathon and to, you know, have a half hour or so to, you know, just say what's up and, you know, uh, interact with, you know, the hosts of the potathon. Really, really cool stuff. And, you know, we had the 11.30 p.m. window, me, Chalk, and Tommy. We are the, you know, uh, co-owners of the Undroppables and partners here. And we we got on at 11.30 Pacific, 2.30 a.m. Uh, Eastern. And I thought it was just a, a throwaway episode. I really didn't think anybody would be watching, nonetheless caring about what the hell we were saying, us losers. But, you know, it turned out that was the opposite of what happened. Um, there was a, you know, we, we got a pretty big donation from our team um, and we got flooded with a lot of amazing commentary from people. And it just got me thinking, you know, what's the genesis of all that? And the genesis of all that is, is Scott Fish, right? Scott Fish wasn't looking for glory or anything. He wasn't looking for money. It's a free, you know, charity tournament. That's the biggest fantasy football tournament uh, in the world. If you don't count DFS, you know, just this amazing, amazing fantasy football league. And he's raising thousands and thousands of dollars for children. And the whole thing just starts from one person's kindness. And it just really got me thinking how all that is intertwined. And so uh, all the people at, at, at the Undroppables that are, that are my, 
you know, cohorts there all stepped up and put in some money. And I would just ask that y'all go do the same. Just, you know, go to scottfishbowl.com, check it out. And remember, even if you didn't get in, the whole reason for this damn thing is not selfishness and, you know, I want to win something. No, 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 no. This was all about helping someone else and doing something cool. So do something cool and just go donate some money. Even if it's 10 bucks, you'll feel good about it. So go do that shit, man. Um, I didn't mean to be long-winded about that, but it just it kind of hit me a certain way when people respond uh, to kindness in a nice way. So um, that's enough kindness for the show, too, because I'm going to get my guest out. I'm going to just beat him down. I am going to tell him why he is so wrong. No, I'm just kidding. Because actually, I am excited to have Mr. Tom Strachan on. I did uh, his Fantasy Pros show, him and uh, Pat Fitzmorris, and they're just so good, man. I am so excited to have him on. Um, he's British, which is, you know, which is great. Uh, I get to, you know, we get to hear the accent, which is always fun in podcast form. So without further ado, I want to bring out uh, my new friend, Mr. Tom Strachan. Tom, come on out. You, you can find Tom at NFL underscore T Strack. Tom Strachan, welcome. Jolly ho. It'd be rather <laughs> funny if I just did the whole pod like this, wouldn't it? No. <laughs> but thank you for that, Jack. No, I really appreciate oh, it. Part of me as you were talking, I was like, how long could I keep up? With He's actually wearing a for? hat, too. He's got the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, it's not a bowler hat. Hello. I'll, I'll just qualify that. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. But uh, no, thanks for having me. And yeah, just to echo your thoughts on the Scott Fishbowl. I was at the UK Fantasy Football Convention this weekend. We had the Podophon on on a big screen throughout the whole event, and it was so awesome seeing so many different analysts and fans just cycling in through it and seeing all the donations that were made. And shout out to you and your team. That was a very generous donation. It was just great to be in the group chats and seeing how much money is flowing towards such a great cause. Yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, it's just, it, you know, it just got me thinking. You know, because I remember when I first got in, Tom, the first time I got in, I was just. I was excited to like I, I drafted back to back with Brandon Funston and I, some of you guys know Brandon Funston, but Brandon Funston's, you know, like older like me, you know, and like I remember like in the ni- in like 99, 2000 or something like that, like he was the young sort of guy on Yahoo. And I was like, I would read his articles. and It was like him and Eric Carabell and, um, you know, some of these other guys. I can't remember all the names, but Funston was one of them. You, you know, he, he used to take heat all the time. People would like once, you know, just berate him for being an idiot even though he's he's great you know but yeah he was just a punching bag sometimes and there i was you know just and he sniped me he he actually got yeah i think i would have had a chance to honestly win the tournament if he didn't snipe me on like lamar jackson and whatever round i got i picked the wrong guy i was like uh it was wrong whoever i picked i don't want to go back but i remember lamar would have potentially gotten me somewhere there because i had a pretty solid squad but long story short like that was what i was excited about was to sort of go up against all the and then, you know, as you start to go through it, you realize, hey, that's part of what it's about. That is part of what it's about. And, you know, h- however much now I'm not that guy and I'm the other guy, the person that someone might like to play with, I, I kind of take that responsibility seriously. I try to, you know, be magnanimous and, 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 and kind to the people that are in my league. And we, we're having a great league. We're in mellow yellow. I draft eighth. I'm letting them win. You know what I mean? I'm just taking a backseat. I'm taking all the bad players, letting them take all the good players. What's your strategy, Tom? So, yeah, I'm kind of at a point where this was the first year somebody had reached out and asked me what division I was in. And, you know, I've only been around Fantasy Twitter for a few years and kind of working in content for that sort of period. And for me, it's humbling because I remember the first year I was on Fantasy Twitter. I joined late in July by the time drafts were already happening. And I was just like, oh, this is that tournament I've heard about on loads of podcasts. 
so I think I wasn't involved that year, but then the last two years where I've been in, I've absolutely loved being in the group chats with people, being in the chats with like people picking at the same position. So like last year I was in Hyrule, the Zelda division, and like I've made good friends from that division who we still talk, we're still in leagues together now. This year I'm in the Hard Rock Cafe, I'm picking at 109. I've picked at 109 for the past like, this is the third year in a row. I've made the playoffs every year, so I feel like I can't pick anywhere else. But there you go. Yeah, it's, uh, I think if I'd known the scoring beforehand, I might have picked a slightly higher pick because it feels like those elite quarterbacks and Travis Kelsey might separate a little bit more. But yeah, yeah, I'm just enjoying it. I've got Justin Herbert was my QB1. Uh, and then, yeah, just been stashing some running backs and uh, looking at what else I can uh, pry from the value as we go on. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, you know, I, as everybody says, nobody gives a shit about our Scott Fishbowl team, so we're not going to go through it and do that thing. We're not going to do that. I promise you, folks. What we are going to do, though, is we're going to talk a little bit of dynasty strategy to start it off and a lot of other things coming up next. As promised, I wanted to talk some dynasty strategy with you. Um, you know, I you are a dynasty guy. You know, I we talked a little bit, and, you know, you're in, like, almost 20 leagues about the same as me just under 20 something like that just kind of depending on how many you count you know some of the smaller ones and bigger ones but uh you know uh, 17 or 18 leagues i think you mentioned and so you know when you play in that many leagues it becomes a slightly different experience you know i remember when i was in one league it's sort of one kind of experience when you're in you know multiple start getting above eight or ten it becomes a different experience it becomes a portfolio game a little bit more, but I still think each dynasty league needs to be looked at as its own economy. Do you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Because every league absolutely has its own nuances. Like, and a big thing that I believe gives a real edge is just understanding your league, understanding which league mates. Because you know, not every league is perfect. You can't expect everyone in every league to be active the entire year round. So if you can start tapping into, okay, I know this player's going to drop out at this point because, you know, year after year, they just seem to lose interest between sort of like June and when we get into training camp. And that's easier for you. You know that you don't need to waste your time sending trades to them at that point. Yes. And the more, you know, it, it definitely, you hit a point where it's like you can definitely tip the scale too far and you end up in too many leagues and your Sundays are going to become hellacious. But I think... If you can find the right balance, and for me, that's basically about 12 managed dynasty leagues as well as all the redraft and cherry leagues, and then a bunch of dynasty best ball leagues where I can check in on them every few weeks and I can make trades and stuff, and I don't have to do waivers every sort of Wednesday evening and stuff, um, then that it's it's definitely a nice way to play, and I'm definitely quite happy with the amount of dynasty teams I've got at the moment. Yeah, the the waiver run is is overwhelming with multiple leagues. It's not that overwhelming with one because you can really I, – I used to joke. By the way, your answer to that was something I'd been thinking about today. So it's like fucking ESP, man. That was sick. I want to talk about that. But it was like when I had one league, it was like I had um, – you know, I knew my team, all 30 of them. I knew all the people in the league. I knew, I, I knew, I knew my ex- entire team. I, the depth chart was in my head, you know. And uh, I, I can't exactly do that on all of my 20 teams. I can pretty much tell you, like, if you pick the league, I'll be like, yeah, that's a Lamar Jackson, you know, Andrews team or whatever. And I think I've got Amari or whatever, you know, but I can't do it, all of them. So um, you said something. Yeah, go ahead. 
But I was just going to say, so, like, I've got a friend who plays in one league a year, and that's it. We play redraft, we play it, like, on the old NFL app, and that's it. He's in one league a year. And he says that he has to be out of focus on the players in his team doing well. And when he drafts, he picks only players that he wants to watch and enjoy watching. Right. And it's not necessarily the most successful, but for him it's the most enjoyable. Right. For me, it's the opposite end. It's like, right, I have enough players that... I can sit back on a Sunday, I'll put a couple of games on, I might put red zone on as well. And if there's points being scored, I'm just enjoying it. You yes. know, and I might have a bit more skin in the game with DFS that we can be a bit more focused on them. But <laughs> exactly. I was gonna say you've you've infected yourself with a new poison now. hundred <laughs> percent. And it's like there's no point. Like I never look at my opponents' lineups on a Sunday. It's like, I yes. don't, you know, when I'm setting my lineups, there's no time for looking at them. Cause if you start doing that, you, it's very easy. And then if you've got several teams start wishing for things not to happen and then realize, yes. no, actually I had that player who was playing and I was wishing they didn't score a point, but if it scored, then I would have got a win that week. Tom, we have a saying on this show. It's zero shares, zero cares. So there, <laughs> there's, there's players that you have zero shares, zero cares. And when, when they score, you pissed off because you're like, fuck that guy. I hate that dude. I don't even have him anymore. What the hell is T- Tyrion Davis Price doing scoring a touchdown for several? You know, you're just going to be pissed off or whatever, whoever it is. So uh, other than that, I, I get it. I, I agree because, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, overrating your own roster in Dynasty, which is actually a, a sickness that, you know, uh, you know, a lot of dynasty managers will have, especially if they're in one league, especially if they're listening, if you're listening right now and you're in a home league, you're nodding your fucking head. Cause there's always that guy that like, that's like, you know, you're trying to trade, you know, Garrett Wilson for Jamar, uh, Justin Jefferson or whatever, you know, and he's like, I think Garrett Wilson's got him, you know, it's like, okay, man, look, uh, we can't talk. Yeah, I can't talk to you. I mean, yeah, I understand that maybe he be, you know, but it's like, he's like, nah, I think, uh, I think about it. You know, you're like, all right, this dude just loves all his players too much, you know? And so those are the types of things. Like if I'm in a league and I'm looking at that, I'm like, Hmm, I have an opportunity maybe to trade Garrett Wilson for, you know, I don't know. I'm in a, 20 leagues i'm i'm going for justin jefferson as many of them as i can you know it's like you know i don't need to think about that type of stuff but a lot of guys just marry their own takes and and sit in it um that being said you know i think there's definitely you said the thing that i was thinking about which is knowing your league about like some guys are just not as active right now you know I actually am in my listener league and one of the listeners, one of the members of the league kind of popped in and was like, dude, guys, sorry, I haven't been active. It's been like two weeks. Dude is fucking active, you know, but he's like, sorry, I haven't been active. Just kind of want to take a little break. And I'm here now. If you you know need anything, I was like, that's a fucking dope league, you know, because, but we all feel that way. It's like, I was actually, I, I responded to the league. I was like, imagine having to do a fucking podcast when you feel like that, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. Seriously, it's like, you know, sometimes I don't want to talk about football, you know? It's like, not that often, but sometimes, you know, <laughs> right? It's like, so yeah, knowing when guys are, you know, I, there's a league I know, there's people that don't even log on, you know, for months. And that, that's not my favorite leagues for sure, but at least I know. So now if I really want to do something, I can't just send him a trade. He doesn't give a shit. I almost have to reach out personally and say, hey, man, you know, it's like, like still alive. Yeah. Hey, what's going on? How you doing? What's going on? With the family? You know, I have to kind of engage and then be like, hey, yeah, I was just kind of thinking, like, do you really want to put that much effort in if you're in 20 leagues? Probably not. But if you're in one and you know that, you know, you can kind of do stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's like, and just knowing the people in your league, getting to know them, like if you join a random startup or something, get involved in the conversations in the league, not just because it might help you find an edge, but it's also just 
it'll mean that the Dynasty League is going to last longer. If you totally. get to know the people in it, like I have leagues that I joined during COVID with people I didn't know at all. But there's no way I'm leaving those leagues because I've built up relationships with them just through the sleeper app. Yes. But it also helps when it comes to trade. So after a while, you start to learn, okay, well, that person really leans into pocket passer quarterbacks. Uh, that person, you know, they're a diehard Steelers fan. Yes. So I can take Kenny Pickett to him and I can trade him for a player that I think is a bargain or similar. Yes, exactly. And speaking of that, like I had, I had on the show sheet, we haven't gotten to question one yet. Um, <laughs> it's true. But I was thinking about that. Like, what this time of year is a funny time of year in Dynasty because it's post draft and it's preseason. It's not even pre, it's pre preseason. You know, it's not, we're not even there yet, right? You know, the mini camp bullshit. What are some of the edges that you try to take advantage of during this sort of weird time of year? See, this is a time of year I love because, like, yeah, you've got you start off after Christmas and everyone's like, right, I'm going to tear down this team that just won and I'm going to rebuild. And then it's like people are starting to work out which picks in the draft they're going to be getting, which players we start getting attached. But then after the draft, it's all that fallout where it's like, yes, I knew I was right to be in a this guy and <laughs> right. it's all that. And then, yeah, you get to June, you get to July, and the dynasty chats, they just they drop off a little bit and you're like, oh, is, is everyone still okay? And But this is a time of year where, I mean, I do a lot of best ball content, and right now I'm hammering drafts because there's opportunity and ambiguity. Yes. So where that's running backs, like particularly like over the last couple of years, around this sort of time, I've bought players like Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson where they were going for like late seconds, early thirds, or, you know, a combination of picks. Yeah. And they turned out to be really valuable players who you could flip for more later on. So particularly with running backs, I think backfields like the Bears, Panthers, Washington, they're all teams where it feels like somebody who owns one of those players in a dynasty league, they might just be feeling a little twitchy. They might be unsure if they want to tear down their team or if they want to compete. But if you have a conversation with them, say, you know, just checking in, what's the kind of price that you'd be after on this player? Do I have any players we can swap? It might be that you can move a player that you're not sold on for a player that you think has an opportunity to really jump in value. Yeah. And and those are the types of deals, actually. Sometimes, like, I I think there's a lot of different ways to engage on a trade. One is send a trade offer. Like, that's one good way to engage in trade talks. The other way is kind of like what you just said, which is like kind of approaching the owner first and saying, hey, I was just, what's going on, man? You know, and all of a sudden, you know, anything you're looking to maybe improve or anything on my roster, right? And all of a sudden, they start going, oh, me. Maybe one of his good players is available. Maybe one of this is maybe he'd take one of these. Maybe he'd right. So now you got him thinking or her thinking, and then you can sort of, you know, like you say, pounce on that at least with opportunity for where you see value. And you're right. I think now's the time of year where the uncertainty is something to lean into. There's also like there's nothing that's happened. No points have been scored. Nobody's been benched. Nobody's been injured. But yet there's still people who are very like, oh no, DeAndre Swift. You know, like, oh, no, Cortland Sutton. I mean, we were talking about it last last week. Like, we can't sell Sutton for anything. You can't you can't add Sutton to a deal. Like, if you have a deal and then you're like, you put Sutton in, they're like, no, 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 never mind then. We're not doing it. You know, it's like you can add him and it takes it away. Like, no, no, I don't want fucking Cortland Sutton. Like, there are certain players like that that you could probably buy very, very inexpensively. And it probably could be a crap, crap out, right? Like, I would agree that Cortland Sutton might, you know, be Allen Robinson 2.0 here where it just doesn't work. But there's also a world where it's like 
dude is still good. And, and like, you know what I mean? All of a sudden so, he's worth way more than you just paid. So, and, and you so said, like Colin yeah. Sutton, that's like a really good one because right now, let's say Marvin Mims, he was Sean Payton's first draft pick. He traded up to get him. Yeah. And then we know that Jerry Judy came on strong towards the end of last season. Colin Sutton's become kind of this forgotten about man in some ways. Tim Patrick is getting a little bit of hype like yep. he did last year before the injury. But Colin Sutton at one point this offseason was almost traded to the Ravens. Baltimore's beat reporters were all over that. And there were talks that they wanted to move him. It wouldn't feel crazy to get in a training camp, to see Tim Patrick healthy, Marvin Mims playing well in training camp, and Sean Payton to go, okay, I need to trade him because I need another player elsewhere. And let's just say, you know, there's plenty of these good teams who feel like they could be wide receiver heavy. If Colin Sutton lands on a team that we know is going to be good this year rather than a team like the Broncos, which might be good. Yeah. I mean, his value is probably going to jump maybe, what, like half a round in Dynasty? Easily, yeah, or several rounds. Because I think yeah. right now he's he's really he's fading and fading fast. I think people are passing him by for – you know, I, I, I asked Chalk, I go, who would you rather have in Dynasty, Tim Patrick or Cortland Sutton? And he was like, Oh Jesus! You know, like because he, he was like, I know I'm supposed to say Cortland Sutton here, but I don't even want to say Cortland Sutton. That's kind of the point. Like, you're not even sure if that's correct. Like, you're like, dude, it's possible Tim Patrick scores more fantasy points for the rest of his career than Cortland Sutton right now. Like, that feels possible, and it, it, maybe it's maybe it's likely. I don't really know, but that uncertainty is what we're talking about. Not necessarily. This isn't a Cortland Sutton take. This is a type of player take. You know, Antonio Gibson's another one. I know you mentioned the Washington backfield. Uh, tell me a little bit about your thoughts on. Well, actually, we're gonna we're gonna hold Antonio Gibson for a little later because I've got a little surprise for everybody. Um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna hold that one. Um, the other thing I thought that I wanted to talk about was, you know, we we generally find value. You just said it in offenses that 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 score. You know. Um, we saw it with A.J. Brown, right? A.J. Brown was awesome in Tennessee. You know, he got just over 100 targets and was mossing people and literally trucking them and scoring touchdowns and playing awesome, but on limited, you know, opportunity because the offense was not prolific, limited scoring opportunities because the, the, the offense wasn't scoring a ton. They were pretty efficient, but not prolific. And then he goes to, to Philadelphia. We were concerned about that offense. It ends up being an awesome offense, and he goes nuclear, right? And I think that just shows it's not the player. It's not A.J. Brown good or bad or better or worse than he was then. He's the same player, but the offense is what unlocked him. Um, I think there's probably some value. Obvious, there's obvious ones, right? Of course, Kansas City. You know, it's like, of, of course, you know. <laughs> That's a good choice, dude. Oh, yeah. What well, you know? Oh, Cincinnati. We, those are solved equations. But I think the ones Philly was kind of one of them. Actually, we weren't exactly sure what um, they were on the high side, but still weren't sure. And uh, I think there's some some teams out there. I've I've thought of some. I'm wondering what are some of those offenses that you think could be ascending that we can target for value like that. So I've got two, and you know they might feel a little bit like a layup at first because. They are expensive already, but I feel like these are two who are going to become more expensive over the course of the next year. Okay, And it's two teams who've had new offensive coordinators this offseason. So the Chargers, who now have Kellen Moore, consistently have the Cowboys play in the top three amount of offensive plays per game. You know, Even though they had a good defense and they were leaning into the run, they played fast, they got through a lot of plays. And now with the Chargers, I feel like that's really going to unlock Justin Herbert. We're going to see 
a more ambitious passing game from the Chargers. So I think, you know, people are worried about Keenan Allen's age. Yes. But we just saw him have a monster season when he was healthy. He was dominating targets. Mike Williams, everybody worries about Mike Williams' health. But, like, if the ball starts getting pushed downfield again, then Mike Williams is absolutely going to go up in value. And obviously, Quinton Johnson, as the, the rookie, is probably somebody that's a little less attainable right now. But even, but even like- Quinton Johnson has has ceiling to rise, right? There's a lot of people who are nervous about that. You're right about this offense. This is actually a good one. Now, it is a more obvious one. I've got a few others that we can talk about that are less obvious, and we'll talk about them briefly. But the, the, the Chargers is a great answer. I mean, think about it this way. I, I I almost drafted uh, Justin Herbert at the 102 in a startup draft last year. I ended up taking Mahomes correctly, but like it was between Herbert and Mahomes. This was before last season uh, in a startup, and I mentioned it on the pod, and that's where I was. So that nobody nobody sent me any letters <laughs> saying <laughs> saying that that was a bad choice. Like that, you know, I mean, I, I took Mahomes, but nobody was saying, "Oh, you're stupid, Herbert sucked." But now Herbert is sort of on the backside of that, right? He's like quarterback six now so he has actually room to grow if he has one of those one of those seasons that we sort of thought he might have they yeah, took I mean, him, last, right? last year justin herbert was going ahead of patrick mahomes in best ball adp it wasn't Bingo. spicy at all to be taking him over mahomes and then it you know the season happens and yes justin herbert had the injuries and yes you know the wide receivers were banged up and stuff and there were Things that worked against him, the play calling was tepid. But yeah, I just I feel like they could easily jump in value. The other kind of easy one before we get to a more sneaky upside one is the Ravens. I mean, I'm a Ravens fan, so I try not to go too overboard on yes. my love for them on the timeline because you get called a homer pick. But Todd Munkin being installed as offensive coordinator, when John Harbaugh hired him, he talked again and again and again in the opening press conference about it was important during the coaching search but they wanted somebody who ran no huddle mm. greg roman would get to the line he'd have the players call the plays called in they were notoriously slow to call the plays in the ravens had the third most uh, delay of game penalties among the league last year and the wide receiver schemes were terrible so now if you're giving lamar jackson possibly the best weapons of his career yes you know you go back and look at 2019 when it was like willie sneed and you know a bunch of nobodies catching the ball and he was mvp and now you're giving him Odell Beckham, who might be past it, but if we're using him in a you know a bit part role, then maybe he'll be fine. Zay Flowers, who lots of people were very high on coming out, yep. and then Rashad Bateman, if he can stay healthy yep. along that's the Mark his middle Andrews, name by the way, of likely. that's his middle name if he can stay healthy. <laughs> We've said that for years about many players. I'm with you on this one. I almost put Baltimore. You didn't get any of mine, but. Um, I almost said Baltimore. I was like, um, I'm going to leave that. It's a little bit of low-hanging fruit, but actually it's 100% the right answer because, look, I hope you're right too because my most rostered, other than Clayton Toon, my most rostered quarterback <laughs> in Dynasty <laughs> is Lamar Jackson. And, and of course, Tom Brady too. <laughs> rode that one until the wheels <laughs> fell off. Kind of like, oh, yeah. yeah, dude, I bought him for like 50 fab somewhere this offseason too. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, fuck it. It's a deep league. I'm like, I'll take it. If he, if he's going to buy the Dolphins and like Tua's going to break his head or whatever. Yeah, he's, he's, he's going to play. No, he's, he's Raiders, right? He owns the Raiders. He's going to, he's going to go down on the field and take Jimmy G's job again. Something. Like, yeah. It's just inevitable. Yeah, so like, I'll, I'll give you one more that like I chose of it. I think, 
I think the Texans have sneaky upside. I think, you know, what they've done with the coaching staff has been impressive. You know, they've brought in people from the Shanahan tree, which we always talk about effusively. But not just on the defensive side of things, they brought the offensive coordinator with somebody who'd been with the Niners for years, worked his way up from sort of data analyst background. Their offensive line, I feel strongly, is going to be probably one of the top eight within the league. And when you give a quarterback that kind of time in the pocket, it should only bring good things. And I think the running game is going to be much more productive. I don't think Damian Pierce is going to be required to do as much as he did last year when there was only like 34-year-old Rex Burkhead and Marlon Mack behind him. Now Devin Singletary's there. Obviously, a wide receiver is a bit of a mixed bag. You know, you're looking for that leap from Nico Collins. You're looking for... John Mechie to hopefully be able to hit the ground running after dealing with the illness that he did last year. Yeah. And then there's sort of deeper players like Tank Dell and that. But yeah, I think, you know, Dolan Schultz is exactly the kind of player that feels right for this offense. And I, I, I'm fairly confident that one of those players is going to surprise people. I'm just not sure I can pinpoint which one it is. Yeah. I really liked uh, Stroud, you know, coming out. I mean, he's the only thing that concerns me about Stroud is his sort of pocket press presence throw on the run capabilities he's pretty athletic actually I mean he's he gets unfairly criticized for being you know non-athletic but he does get very very fairly criticized for not being able to you know sort of improvise out of script um, which is kind of true he is like I mean he is a metronome in the in the in the pocket I mean he is really really accurate so it'll be curious to see exactly how that game translates to the NFL I'm I'm kind of pulling for him um but we'll see uh what about uh, I'll give you one of mine um you know there's some maybe low hanging fruit here I don't really know but um which one do I do first god how about Jacksonville let's start with Jacksonville um you know they sort of I've been arguing for Trevor Lawrence you know, he had a pretty great breakout season. You know, I always say if you look at his his rookie season versus his second year, there's a huge jump. But if you also look at his second year and take the first half and the second half, that was a huge jump. So that means that he was playing in the second half of last year even well above his overall, you know, second year finish. So he was really, really good. I think he only had two picks in the last seven or eight games or something like that. Like took care of the ball, was still prolific, had an amazing – he had more picks in the friggin' playoffs, obviously, uh, but had amazing comeback in that playoff game. Adds Calvin Ridley, adds Tank Bigsby, um, a year older, you know, a lot of um, continuity outside of those players. ETN's back, Kirk's back, you know, I, Evan Engram for one more year at least. I like this offense quite a bit. I think there's a lot of, a lot of points to be scored and the division questionable at best. What do you think? hundred percent. And I think people will kind of feel like, okay, well, have we seen the ceiling for the Jags? And it's like, no, that, that really doesn't have to be the case. It's not so linear that, you know, quarterbacks only grow between year one and year two. There's right. uh, plenty of time where, you know, Sean Siegel for Rotovis has wrote about this before and Blair Andrews about how quarterbacks can really make a big leap between year two and year three as well. And really, we kind of have to throw year one for Trevor Lawrence out the window because the Urban Meyer stuff, it was just like, you know, there was no grown-up in the room. And then once he got a grown-up in the room, it's like, oh, shit, actually, this guy who we've been building up for years as this generational prospect, oh, look, he's actually good. And, yeah, I think there's still some settling down for that Jacksonville offense. Um, You know, you saw that at times uh, Etienne wasn't really – 
the guy when he was getting all the kind of touches down the stretch that we might have hoped, even though he was getting a lot of volume. Like, you know, he was close, but not quite there. And Trevor Lawrence checks down to running backs at one of the lowest rates in the league. Yeah. So, like, if he can ta- start taking some of those simple passes to tra- uh, Travis Etienne, then perhaps that's going to unlock things slightly more. It'd be... I would have liked to have seen Evan Ingram sign a long-term deal just because you always feel that a little bit more comfortable about stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, Calvin Ridley feels a little bit like, you know, his range of outcomes could be quite large. But last time he was on the field, he was dealing with injuries. Before that, I mean, it's not that long ago that he was a top five dynasty wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Another team that I think that could be really uh, sneaky is, well, not sneaky. I think actually... We saw what it was last year. I think a lot of people feel like it was fool's gold with the Seattle Seahawks, but they added two weapons in Charbonnet to uh, assist in the pass game uh, and the run game for that matter. Um, But they added the best wide receiver in the draft and put him alongside Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Gino was one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the NFL last year. Um, I mean, this offense could really sing again. The division. I mean, Arizona, the Rams. Obviously, San Francisco super, super tough. Those are going to be two tough games. But nonetheless, I mean, this 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 Seahawks team could really roll this year. Hundred percent. And I think some people point towards like the Seahawks trouble down the stretch last year and say, okay, Geno faded. But Geno didn't really fade. It was just the offensive line which played above its skin early on in the season got banged up, there were injuries, which coincided with Kenneth Walker getting banged up and yep. him not running as well. And it just seemed like, yeah, they needed that one more piece. You know, Noah Fan and Will Disley are fine players. They are, but, right. There you go. You know, when you're running, like, two tight end sets with them and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, that's one thing. But now, yes. if you're going to put JSN into the mix there, like, and people are discounting JSN a lot. Like, I get into best ball arguments with people because they're just like... The Seahawks don't want to play three wide receiver sets. The Seahawks just went out and spent a first-round pick on a player who they think can help them immediately, yes. who can win the ball in an area of the field which Geno Smith is good at targeting. <laughs> yes. And, you know, we're talking about an offensive coordinator. Last year was his first year with the Seahawks. It's Shane Waldron, I forget his name. And then this at the time, they didn't have the wide receivers to play three wide receiver sets. Right. Who was it you wanted out there? But now you've got Jackson Smith and Jigba. How are you not going to tailor the game to him? Totally. I, I'm with you. This is a, the Christian McCaffrey take that Cam doesn't check down a running backs thing. where <laughs> Right? Where it's like, no, no, they don't, they play that two tight end scheme. No, they play the I just drafted JSN in the first round scheme. That's the fucking scheme they're going to play. They had D. Eskridge and, you know, I dude, I rostered Darik Young. Because I thought he had a shot. Like they had nobody. Like seriously, I do. I, I have him in a lot of leagues because I was like, dude, if DK goes down, like they either need to make a trade or this dudes might play. Like it's incredible. They're they were so shallow. They could not play consistently three wide receivers. They didn't have three professional wide receivers on the team. They did not. They had two. They had other guys, but two pros. Now they have not only three pros, but I think JSN is special. I really do. I think in the, in the vein of, you know, Juju Smith, Schuster, Cooper cup, Amon Ross, St. Brown, these slots that are just, you know, obviously Juju, not as good as those other two guys, but you know what I'm saying? The sort of the lineage of these players that come out and dominate from the slot and are unguardable 
uh, certainly in zone. He's a great zone player. But the other thing with JSN, he was really good against man too because he is, you know, what record-setting you know quickness, right? Yeah, and just going back to what you're saying, these are some of the names of players who dominated Seahawks snaps in the slot last year. <laughs> Dwayne Eskridge, Penny Hart, Marquise Goodwin, Kate Johnson, all of them had games where they had more higher percentages of their snaps coming from the slot than Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf. I think sometimes people think that Tyler Lockett plays from the slot he's because dumb. he's, you know, he's yeah. slight, more slight build, but like that's just not his role. He might go 50% there, but like we're talking about a player who can go in there and play 60% of his snaps, 60, 70% of his snaps from the slot. Yeah. And yeah, you know, he's lightning quick. He's going to be able to get away from coverage. And yeah, I just, I think people are sleeping a little too hard on JSM this year. And in PPR formats, particularly, I'm all over it. Totally. I liken this uh, acquisition of JSN to the Cowboys when they drafted CD Lamb and had Gallup and Amari. And, you know, CD just learned the game through the slot, right? They were like, listen, you're slot only. You're going to play slot. It's just that's what you're going to learn. You're going to learn slot. We're not going to do too much moving you around. And subsequently, after he sort of got into the league, they're like, okay, now you're the alpha. You move all over the place, right? But like the first year, he enters the league through the slot. I think that's what's going to happen. And I got a little bit of pushback from, uh, you know, a couple of guests where I mentioned this, which is fine. I, I don't have an issue, but I do think it's more likely than not that they play a much higher percentage of, of three wide and that uh, JSN is probably pretty much confined to the slot. But again, as you say, I don't think that's a bad thing because CD got over a hundred targets uh, in that role on only about 60 or 70% snap, six under 70% snap share his rookie season. And I think JSN can do the same. What happens mostly when you play that, you know, three wide, you're probably more likely throwing. He's going to be an all sure passing downs. Like, you know, so he doesn't have to play as much to get as many opportunities in the passing game. You know, his target rate might be, you know, as high this year as it is almost any year. In other words, you know, because he's going to play in more sure passing downs than, than, than in running plays or in two wide receiver sets. I don't think we'll see him as much. It'll limit his upside, but I still think his floor is rock solid. Yeah, and just, just going back to, like I mentioned it before, but Shane Waldron, who was the offensive coordinator, you're really telling me he came from the Rams where you saw Cooper Cup have like these phenomenal seasons as the slot wide receiver. Yes. And then he's going to, they're going to draft someone in JSN with this profile that we've all been banging on saying he's a slot wide receiver. And then he's just going to be like, nah. Now get Disley just, in know, there. Just sit this one out. Yeah, let's get Will Disley in there and. We'll see what happens. Yeah, totally. That that that's right. I think we we solved it. Hey, I just drafted uh, Kenneth Walker in the Scott Fishbowl. Uh, did I make a mistake? I don't think you did. I think you know. I think that we're getting a slight discount on where I think he should be going. Obviously, you know, Zach Charbonnet got good draft capital, and I think it's very clear to project him for a high value role in getting those kind of pass protection downs and getting those kind of screen game plays that Pete Carroll talked up immediately after they drafted him. But Kenneth Walker could be explosive. It felt like last year was just a little too much for him in his rookie season. You know, the plan never was for him to be out there that much. You know, they thought they'd have Rashad Penny out there. So I think what we see from Kenneth Walker is that he can be a boom-bust player, you know. He's going to be one of those who can break off a 40-yard touchdown and then some weeks he's going to 
probably give you less than we'd like. Yeah. But Kenneth Walker's an exciting player. And I mean, one year into the league and we're going to throw him on the scrap heap already because yeah. another running back was drafted. I mean, yeah. 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 I think I initially got a little bit uh, frustrated with the, I was just frustrated with the Charbonnet pick all the way around because of course, as a dynasty guy, I was like, okay, who, you know, obviously outside of the, you know, the first two, I was like, okay, who's going to be that first running back taken? Where's he going to go? Like, is it going to be Kendra? Is it going to be a chain? Is it going to be, you know, someone else? I mean, where, where's, where is he going to land? Is it going to be Charbonnet kind of, we thought, and, and then you're like, what the fuck dude? You, you know? So it was like when he landed there, it was, it was yeah, it was this thing, this visceral reaction. And it's like, Dude, this sucks for everybody. Yeah, fuck everything. You know, it's like it just just a total buzzkill, you know? And so the buzzkill. It's the old sort of like Star Wars thing of like, you know, a million fantasy voices cried out at once. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, Zach Charbonnet Alderon uh, in, the, in the lead for show title at this particular point. <laughs> That's a good one. I'm going to have a hard time topping that one. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, that's, that might do it. Wow, that's good. Uh, so it's like it's like, um, but we just we just we're looking for these offenses where we can find touchdown upside. You know, I, I I've been talking about the Chiefs, and you know, I think only one season has like the uh, a Patrick Mahomes led offense. The running backs didn't score more than like fifteen touchdowns last year. They scored I think twenty two or twenty three total touchdowns. Kansas City running backs. That's like McKinnon, Pacheco, and CEH, and Ronald Jones, and all these motherfuckers scored 22 total touchdowns last year. It's incredible. That's what you're looking for is some touchdown upside. You know, I mean, we saw it with my next team in Detroit, but I think you might be able to see it with the Seahawks where Kenneth Walker maybe doesn't get quite as much, you know, as many like 25, 28 carry games. But I think he's a lock for 15 to 20 carries a game and some high leverage opportunities and, like you say, big plays in Detroit is another team that I think is on the rise. Um, you know, we certainly saw some touchdown upside with Jamal Williams last year. I'm not exactly sure what this offense is. This one's a little bit more vexing for me. Perhaps you can shed some light. What are your thoughts about Detroit? I mean, the Lions, you know, if the Lions stink this year, everybody is going to be a little bit disappointed apart from perhaps in division fans and stuff. But like, you know, the Lions were that team. They went on hard knocks. They captured the audience. They, you know, they were trendy. They've had these kind of the year before they had all these kind of close wins and close losses. And everyone wants to root for those teams. And then this last year, God, like they were just, they weren't plucky. They were just good. You know, you saw... The Jamal Williams inside the five-yard line play was almost indefensible. And right. It was like, you know, it was much like the Eagles' uh, cheek sneak. Yes. You know, it was yeah. easy to do because teams just didn't have an answer for it. I think it's kind of disappointing um, what's gone on with the wide receivers. Jameson Williams, you know, after last year, now getting suspended for six games. It makes it very difficult from a dynasty perspective to kind of work out how to value him. And, you know, he was such a hyped prospect when he came in at tight end, Sam Laporta probably went slightly higher than we expected. And he's somebody that I think, you know, rookie tight ends. I did an article for underdog fantasy earlier this year, talking about how over the last 20 years, basically the vast majority of rookie tight ends average under six half PPR points per game. So it's really tricky to bank on production from them, but if he can be used situationally, that could be fun. The running backs, I mean, 
I've been a David Montgomery hater for years. You know, he's a plodder. I feel like he got there on just volume over anything else. But yeah. you look at what Jamal Williams left behind, and that seems to be the role clearly for Montgomery. Totally. You know, Montgomery it could walk into what well, like Jamal Williams had over a thousand rushing yards. Uh, he had seventeen touchdowns last year, and he had thirty-four carries inside the five. There was no other player who had twenty. Like yeah. if the next nearest was nineteen. So if we can call David Montgomery in a better situation than he was last year when he was on a Bears team with a bad offensive line, you knew the offense was going to be particularly great. Why is David Montgomery so much cheaper this year than he was last year? And yeah. Jameer Gibbs, that pick, it was a bit of a surprising one. Like, you know, nobody expected it to be quite so high or necessarily by the lines because at the time Swift was there. But like, yeah, I mean, I want as much Gibbs and as much Montgomery as I could get. Yeah, I think I think Gibbs is uh, a very tantalizing player at this point, right? Like the upside is just amazing because if you look at the target share or the just raw total target on that team, like after Amon Ra, who will, unless he falls off a building, will lead that team in targets for sure. Who's second? Gibbs is a pretty smart answer, actually, don't you think? Yeah, because, I mean, you look at the wide receivers and it's, you know, players like until Jameson Williams is there, you're talking about Josh Reynolds having another bit of a resurgence. And yes, he seems to have this kind of relationship with Jared Goff from the times with the Rams. And he might be an okay player to get some production early on in the season. But, yeah, I, I don't think Khalif Raymond's there anymore. I mean, you know, you really, DJ Chark's gone. Marvin Jones is back there. So, do you There's really the expect Marvin one. Jones to have a really big season? No. I think you know, we can talk of Marvin Jones might be nice in the red zone yes. or he might have some games where he pops with like six catches for 50, 60 yards or something. But I don't think there's anyone outside of Eamon Ra and then Jameson Williams when he comes back. Yeah, no, I'm with and you. And then, sorry, Jameer Gibbs when you talk about the running backs, yeah. Yeah. Um, Jameson Williams, a real good bet to return. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. That's a bad joke, but fun to say. Anyway, but I think Marvin Jones is the guy that, like, is sneaky this year. I mean, he's free. He's old, especially in Dynasty. Like, you know, I mean, what would it take to get Marvin Jones onto a roster in Dynasty? I mean, I I don't think it would take very much at all. I mean, you know, he's a throw-in. I think Marvin Jones is one of those people that you could probably even just – Send send waiver fab like yeah. you know if you said yeah. to somebody do you want anything for Marvin Jones you know a fourth people always say a fourth is too low and then a third feels too high so you don't necessarily want to part with two thirds for Marvin Jones but if you can send a you know a fourth and some fab like I'd be yeah. willing to do that if you need somebody to just help you get through those early parts of the season until Jameson's William Jameson Williams is back or something yeah. similar maybe you send a third and get a fourth and a fifth back with Marvin Jones, like that might do it because someone will be like, at least I got a third. At least I got a third. I got a third. I only had to give it my fourth and fifth or something. I mean, these are the types of things I'm telling you. And it could be, you know, as long as your team isn't shitty, but there's really no, here's the thing. You don't really need to have Marvin Jones on your team. If you need Marvin Jones, you don't, you're you're bad. But like there's some deeper leagues where he could be somebody that, like I play in some uh, 14 teams start 12. Marvin Jones, I think, will have value. Does that make sense? Like, whether he's worth, you know, a third and fourth pick swap, I'm not sure. I don't really know. I mean, that's a whole different story. But I generally like to fashion these trades where 
you know, I am making a bigger trade, but then Marvin Jones ends up coming back the other way because I can value him as as a player. You know, I think that's better because he's basically going to be a free throw in. It's not going to be, you know, nobody's going to be like. That's a perfect point because, like, you know, we were talking like when you're talking about trades, the players that you can add to be throw ins, it should never just be okay, well, that probably brings the value right. It's like going, I want throw-ins who could, if they can't increase in value, if they're veterans at that point in their career, then I need them to be serviceable. Do they have a role? Yes. You know, there's no point going into trades and going, okay, well, you know, give me Will Fuller on there because as much as I love Will Fuller and have plenty of Will Fuller over the years, <laughs> it doesn't seem at all likely Will Fuller's coming back and the NFL don't seem to value him. That's right. And if he did come back, is he going to give you anything whatsoever? Right. No, absolutely. We, Chuck and I have been talking about this. It's the idea of value versus production. Know what you're buying, right? And so, yeah, you're not buying any value with, with, with Marvin Jones. You're buying production. So, you know, when you're – and sometimes you'll fool yourself into thinking you're you're buying value when you're like, oh, that guy could be something, you know, it's some – I don't know. I, you know, Amari Rogers was, you know, one of those types of players. You know what I mean? Where you're like, he could, you never know. Like, you know, these types of guys, right? It's like, no, no, don't do that. Buy, buy production with your throw in, just have him throw in Marvin Jones. Cause then he could be a spot start. And again, this uh, is for a deeper league, but still nonetheless. Yeah. I mean, how many people told themselves last year after OJ Howard scored, was it two touchdowns Bingo. in week one? This is it. Those five years I've been holding him on my dynasty <laughs> roster. This is finally the payoff. I mean, it, you know, did he, did he catch any more balls all off season? Oh, don't do it to me. Don't, don't hurt me with OJ Howard. I tried to, <laughs> tried to put that in my rear view mirror. It's like OJ Howard and Albert Okubunum are going to walk in my house and just apologize to me at some point in my, in my future. Um, I'm not joking, man. It hurts. There's a lot of pain there. Um, uh, so we talked about uh, Jameer Gibbs and, you know, it got me thinking about like, I don't I, like, you know, rookies are interesting because you never know what their role is going to be. Right. Um, you know, you never know if they're going to be like, um, you know, you just don't know, right? How much playing time are they going to get? Are they actually going to be on the field? You know, Sky Moore versus Chris Olave last year was like a real question, and it's not no longer a question. You know, the the idea that you know that would have even been a question is now sounds stupid. And sometimes, you know, we looked at the situation and thought, oh, Sky Moore's got this great situation. Not if he's not any good. And so, you know, this is a tricky one to try and, uh, you know, wade through. But um, what are some of the rookies that you think uh, you're liking at this particular point now that we're seeing a little bit of the, the landing spot? Well, yeah, and just to open up on your point there, like yeah. this time last year, there was still people talking about Brees Hall might not hit ceiling because of Michael Carter. Bingo. And then before the injury, we see it didn't matter how good Michael Carter was to end the previous season. Brees Hall was a monster and was just taking that job no matter what. So for me, running back, I'm having a little bit of a harder time with it. I think, you know, generally, I, I, I like the idea of Devin A. Chain in the Dynasty Best Ball Leagues I'm in because it feels like his skill set is one where even if he's playing with Wilson and Mostert, that he can break off runs that just turn a game quickly and he can be explosive like that. So I do like him. I think Tank Bigsby is going to walk into a role with the Jags. Like Doug Peterson talked like at the Combine, unprompted, about how they wanted to add another running back. He talked about it. You know, 
Travis Etienne, I do, uh, you know, I think he's an incredible player, but he also, he wasn't drafted by this coaching team and stuff. You know, they have no tie to him. And if they feel like there's a reason why they need somebody else, then it opens a door for Tank Bigsby. And if he takes even a little bit, he's an interesting player. I mean, you know, he seems like a fun one to root for. Wide receiver, though, is where I feel much better about these kind of players like, Jordan Addison is yeah. going to walk into a huge role from the get-go. You know, Adam Thielen, he leaves behind a big target share. You know, Last year, even when he was going off a cliff edge, I think he still had over 15% target share. He still got targeted quite a lot before TJ Hawkinson arrived. And it felt like Hawkinson was a bit of a hedge on Thielen as well. Yeah. But now you're telling me a defense is going to have to cover Justin Jefferson, TJ Hawkinson, and oh, by the way, Jordan Addison, like I have absolutely no problem starting Jordan Addison from day one in any league I've got him in, and I think he's going to be very fantasy viable this year. I love this take. I have, um, you know, made minor moves to make Jordan Addison available to me uh, in a number of leagues. I, I'm I'm well invested in Jordan Addison, and you know, we we learn this every year. Like sometimes you're like. Oh no, he's a good dynasty player. You know, he's got maybe the first year, but then you realize like if that happens, then you lose a lot of value. It's like the example of Olave and Sky Moore. It's like, you know, even if we knew Sky Moore will eventually be good, it's like you've just lost so much value. You lose that ability to trade him and all that. Now you can trade Olave. I mean, I used Olave to get Jamar Chase in a league. You know, I mean, it, it's, it, I did. You know, it was, I think it was Olave in a late first got me to chase and God bless me. Right. So, but who knows? Olave is that good. He, Dude, he's going to be really fucking good. So it's not like I was selling them um, like, ha ha. I, I understand that. But the point is, is when they produce like that, they can get you, you know, immense value as Olave did, even though he wasn't a, a wide receiver one or anything. He just showed out and all of a sudden now he's got this immense value. And I think that's where Addison lies. I do think that he is that type of player. So I'm, I'm betting on him to do so. Um, anybody that you're looking to fade? Um, so in terms of the wide receivers, you know, Rashi Rice, like mm. I, I just, I think, you know, you look at what Kansas City did last year and the one thought I keep coming back to whenever I talk about them is they kind of moneyballed their way through wide receiver. It's like, you know, they didn't have wide receivers who were particularly spectacular, but they gone base. And it was like, you know, you had Juju Smith-Schuster who popped for a little bit. MBS who popped in the conference championship game with a huge game. And you know, there were... You know, he ran a lot of routes and he was on the field a lot. There were points where Tony, when he actually was using, they drew up stuff for him. He was interesting. But Rashi Rice is one of those where immediately, because he's paired with Patrick Mahomes, we feel like we have to be interested in him. He got that late second round draft capital. Yeah. But it's, you know, Andy Reid doesn't really lean into rookies. We've kind of seen it, but he's not desperate to throw them into the deep end unless they have real elite talent, like the kind of likes of Tyreek Hill or someone like Kareem Hunt. But I'm just not sure that Rice is going to be able to do enough to really dominate the other wide receivers to a point where he becomes the one that you'd want to roster. And I'm not sure that there is going to be a single situation this year where you're going to feel comfortable starting Rashi Rice. Yeah, it's funny. I, I did fade Rice as well. I, I, I faded Rice for the likes of Jaden Reed, Marvin Mims, and Sam Laporta. Those were the players I was drafting when people were drafting Rashi Rice. So I felt that those were the bets I made. Uh, are you feeling the same way that those three players uh, you'd much rather have than Rashi? Yeah, definitely all of those. Like, you know, Jaden Reed could, you know, 
I've spoke to clever people who've said that they feel like he could lead the Packers in targets this year because yeah. he could just make that slot role his own. And Sam Lepore, his upside feels higher than Rashi Rice's to me. But in terms of like other players I'm fading, I mean, Chase Brown for the Bengals, I feel like he's somebody that I just I don't have a good sense for him. You know, he's really fast, but... It just doesn't seem to be quite all there. You know, he's he's one of the more decent-sized backs out of this class for a lot of undersized ones. You know, he's 209 pounds. But I feel like we're being very quick to just project him into this kind of Samaji P. Ryan role that has been vacated and people seem to be very much ready to move on from Joe Mixon. Right. But the Bengals, they seem to be quite comfortable playing this game of trying to get Joe Mixon back at a price which works for them Joe Mixon has zero leverage he can read the running back room that's out there guys like Dalvin Cook who aren't getting contracts so it feels like if you've got Chase Brown then it's got to be with an eye to next year and do you truly believe he could become a 1A a 1B if Mixon stepped away because I don't think I could ever see him becoming a three down workhorse yeah it didn't jive with me either I was not a huge Chase Brown fan um yeah, I don't think I have a single share, actually, so I tend to agree. I mean, th- those were Luke Musgrave picks for me in a lot of situations, probably, and other backs. Izzy Abanacanda, I took over Chase Brown. I'm not super excited about Izzy right now either, but at least I feel like he's 20 years old instead of 28 years old like Chase Brown is. And, <laughs> I mean, it's. I think there's honestly a three-and-a-half-year deal. I think, isn't Chase like 23 or tw- maybe 24? I mean, he's definitely old. And uh, Izzy is still 20. I think he's going to turn 21 here soon. But, like, he's a young player. So, you know, in, in three years, do I think Izzy could be as good as Chase Brown is now? Kind of, yeah. I mean, if he's any good at all. So, you know, the, the the upside of Izzy, you know, because of the youth, just feels like the better play. Obviously, the, the D- Dalvin to the Jets news hurts all my sensibilities. Everything that I'm, I, I think in my head, I, I can't, I can't, I can't get around it. But that's okay. I, I've been wrong about things before. I can't wait to see how that fucking train wreck works out. Um, right? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. The other one I've been fading, and, and then we'll move to something I'm really excited to do with you, which I think will be fun. But the 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 last one I was fading was was Mingo, and it's like, man, this Mingo situation. I feel like he's should have been going somewhere in the Mims Reed you know, um, Rashi Rice zone. And many, many times I've seen him late first, certainly early second. He always seems to have a, you know, a fanboy in every league that just is ready to, it's true. Have you seen this? I absolutely have. And uh, in our Fantasy Sanctuary Discord, which me and Rich Cooling run, there is a guy who literally has his username on the Discord as Mingo Guy. Yeah, right. (laughs) Where did he take him? 108? You know, it's like Quentin Johnson. Fuck that. I'm going Mingo. So shout out, Lewis, if you're listening, I do appreciate you. But yeah, it's like Mingo, Mingo to me brings back memories of Darnell Mooney last year where we start projecting, okay, there's an opportunity here. Someone has to catch the ball. Right. And what we saw last year is that just isn't always the case. And there were a number of situations where I kind of came away from the season being like, well, we talked of opportunity because the target's there. And sometimes it's on these teams where the offenses just stink. And I really like Bryce Young. I really like Frank Reich. I think they've got a really good offensive line. But I'm not sure that this is an offense which is going to score huge amounts of touchdowns. I think they've got a good enough defense that they can keep games close. 
And Frank Reich talked in his opening interview about wanting to establish the run and then take shots downfield. And if that could be Mingo, then okay, great, because you know he can go up and get you those 50-50 balls because he's very good with his competitive sort of catch point stuff. And he's a big-bodied guy, unlike a lot of the smaller wide receivers in this class. You know, he's like 6'2", yeah. 220. That's perfect. But, yeah, like you say, I think the Panthers saw something in him that we didn't necessarily see in the draft community, um, yeah. picking him out as like the 39th pick overall. So I'm really interested in how it plays out. I just don't want a lot of mingle on dynasty teams. I feel like I can get there on best ball teams and get exposure to that. Yeah, he, he, he scares the hell out of me. And, and of course, every time that happens, I, I'm ready to be wrong. I say this all the time. I'm ready to be wrong. I am so ready to be wrong on Mingo, but I, I just can't I, I can't see it. Um, it's not an offense I'm particularly excited about. He wasn't a, a prospect I was particularly excited about. Everybody that I had on, J.J., Zacharyson, and everybody sort of had to you know, bend their process to get there. Um, Scott Barrett, you know, everybody who's talking about, it's like, well, if you do this, he kind of looks okay. And if you take away the fact that he didn't play and then he played tight end because they needed a tight and like all this stuff and you're like, okay, so I have to do all that to get there. It's like, I don't know the draft capitals there, but then it's like, you know, he's, he's, he's sort of lumped in this bucket. Like it's like Thielen is Thielen, right? You know, it's like, we know what he is. He's the veteran. He's going to play, for as long as he can stay healthy, he'll be sort of the alpha slot, right? I mean, he's, he's not going to be stretching the field, but he's going to be like, you know, a target. He's going to be the pro, the, the adult in the room, if you will. And until he's hurt, and then he won't be, and then who knows what will happen. But until that point, he will be. And Chark is going to be the sort of veteran field stretching outside X, you know, right? He's going to do that. And then you have the poo-poo platter of Terrace Marshall, LaVisca Chenault, and fucking Jonathan Mingo. And it's like, why did they need three of these guys? That's what I don't understand. You already had Jonathan Mingo two years ago and last year. You've got the same guy over and over again. They all are I, I just that's what I see. Just the same motherfucker. It's like the it's just there's three of them. Yeah, and for me, like if you're looking for that kind of field stretcher play, do I want to go out and spend what like a late first on Jonathan Mingo in rookie picks? Or would I rather spin that late first into a 2024 random first, let someone else roll the dice on Mingo, hope that my first turns into an early first, and then go and spend a third-round pick on DJ Chark to get you by this year. (laughs) Chark, who had five weeks of over 14 PPR points last year, can we say with any kind of certainty that Mingo's going to have that in his rookie season in this offense? I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess what you you know you sort of start looking at players like uh, Debo Samuel and AJ Brown, right? So everybody said this is a mini AJ Brown. It's like, well, he's definitely not AJ Brown. He might somehow magically become AJ Brown. That's I suppose possible because he's the same size and has some athleticism, but he's never done AJ Brown things in his career ever. You know, he's just never done that. So it's like, okay, well then turn the dials down on AJ Brown, and what do you have? Well, you have like. LaVisca Chanel, you know, it's like, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. There's what are the guys in the league that are like AJ Brown light. It's like Debo's not AJ Brown light. He's Debo fucking Samuel. You know, it's like everybody wants him to be this thing. And I just don't know that that archetype is like there. I mean, we, we kind of saw it with Kadarius Tony, maybe, you know, a guy that you had to make some excuses for. And he's not quite a full, I always say he's a Pinocchio because he's not a real boy, not a real wide receiver. He's just, <laughs> he, he, you know, he's just not there. He's not all the way 
a, a wide receiver. And, and look, if he gets there this year, he'll be one of the most exciting players. I see the upside, by the way. But Mingo, I just don't see it. Anyway, you know, we're beating a dead horse. I mean, he's already dead. Let's just leave him there. He's fine. Then when he then when he's awesome, he can just come in and dunk all over me. There's a few players that people love dunking on, like Mike Gesicki, and we're going to get there. All right, so you did – this is what I wanted to do. You did an awesome – I asked you to share some stuff. I checked out some of your work. You did – a couple of cool articles I actually really enjoyed. So y'all can go check them out. Um, Tom does a bunch of work on fantasy pros and his articles are fun as hell to read. I will tell you they're fun to read. He did a couple of articles, um, players in new places, players in new situations and make or break players. So I just bucketed them all together. We'll kind of pick a few, talk about them and then uh, we'll let Tom get back to his tea and crumpets. I mean, it's, it's late here. I might might have a pour or a sherry or something. Let's uh, let, let there's going to be a few of these guys that we're going to have to pour one out for. So you can get that port ready, and I will get mine ready. Are you ready? <laughs> yep. Right, ready. Here, here it is. Oh yeah, let's go. We're going to pour some out for some of these players, starting with maybe one of the leading candidates for fucking getting it poured out. My goodness, how the mighty have fallen with DeAndre Swift. What is your thought on DeAndre Swift? Because, you know, we, we still have the, the the sort of visions of upside. He's been, I say it, he's been one of the, here's the two, the, the, the dichotomy of DeAndre Swift. One of the most efficient players in the league the last two seasons with pretty good overall production too, but he was just traded for a fifth round pick swap. Which one is he? That's that's exactly it. So, like, the NFL told us what they thought about DeAndre Swift. Like, in this running back class with younger running backs and, you know, players at the front end of their contracts, they were more keen on that than DeAndre Swift. Yep. If DeAndre Swift was – if this was Tony Pollard or yeah. if this had been even, you know, a variety of other running backs who maybe are even slightly older, I think there would have been a bigger market for those players than Swift. You know – it's just it's really hard for me to get anywhere on Swift right now. I have him in one league out of like the eighteen dynasty leagues I'm in. And it's a league which I won last year and I'm trying desperately to shift him. It's a great bunch of people, loads of dynasty analysts, really smart league, and nobody wants him, right? right. It's like I, I have to wait for the Eagles to feature him at some point. But this is an Eagles offense that was dead last in target shares to running backs last Bingo. year were like twelve percent. Yep. And Swift's value apparently is still a late first, early second. I cannot shift him for anywhere close to that, but I don't want to take a discount at this point in the offseason. I agree. Yeah, that's right. He's a hold because you can't sell. He may be a buy if someone is getting super desperate, I think. You know, um, you know, I, I bought the what I thought was the DeAndre Swift dip last year, and it has dipped well, well beyond that. <laughs> And it's disappointing because I think he is still a good player. I, you know, I've heard some takes. You know, Podfather. I don't know if he's got um, inside information, but Matt had mentioned that he's just this guy who doesn't work hard in the weight room and stuff like that. I, maybe the stories. I don't read all these fucking bullshit stories, but I I hear it, and 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 maybe he is. Maybe he's just a little bit too lazy, not hardworking enough. And I think that sort of is why they were frustrated with him because he would get hurt, and they're like, maybe the injuries are your fault because you're not working hard enough. Yada yada. That all so, that. I mean, yeah, good. I was just going to say, like, one of the big lessons I've been trying to take into this year, particularly with my best ball approach, I'm trying to draft players who the coaches like. DeAndre Swift, it was clear last year, you watched Hard Knocks, and it was clear the coaches did not feel 
that kind of fire for him. True. I had a big exposure to Trey Lance. That's one which, you know, it's burned me. It's taking time to recover in some dynasty leagues. I want players who the coaches come out and they talk about how much they fucking love the guy. Yeah, that's that's what I'm going for this year. Hey. And DeAndre Swift, I mean, maybe the Eagles get there, but we've not heard it yet. Jamal Williams, right? Um, yes, you know, Jamal Williams is the poster boy for somebody that they like. And the Saints went out and they paid him good money. Even though the Lions, they decided they wanted to get younger in position and remake it. The Saints paid him good money. They seem to love him. How can you not love Jamal Williams? Like, Give me Jamal Williams over DeAndre Swift. Quick aside, right? I meant to mention this when we were talking about David Montgomery. He's actually on the list. But if you're Detroit, explain to me, can you explain to me this in any way? why you would let Jamal Williams go, pay him, it would have cost you less than half what you paid David Montgomery to come in. Like, that breaks my brain. Why would they do that? Yeah, it's it's a really confusing one because clearly he was somebody who the team loved. That's it. Okay, you trade, you get rid of Jamal Williams in free agency and – you replace him with a running back who is two years younger in David Montgomery. But I don't know. Part of me feels like perhaps they felt like there was an opportunity for Swift to take that job and take it before the draft. And when it got towards the draft and Jameer Gibbs was there and they'd fallen in love with him, it was like, okay, time to move on from Swift. Hmm. And yeah, but like... It doesn't make any sense to me. Never made any sense. Because also you talked about it, like they loved him. He's like a fan favorite, a locker room favorite. I mean, if you watch, like you said, Hard Knocks or anything about that team, like everybody loves this dude. It's like, okay, I have this leader who everybody loves. He literally falls in line to exactly what, you know, the Dan Campbell, you know, philosophy is and everything. Like he's just the G. Like you could have Jamal Williams and Jameer Gibbs. Uh, To me, that would have been like fucking dope. You know, but I mean, David Montgomery's fine, but at more money, never made sense to me. So, uh, you you already uh, gave your answer on David Montgomery. I love to hear it. But the other one that I'm uh, sneakily excited about is actually Miles Sanders on that same uh, Carolina offense. What are your thoughts about Miles Sanders? I think I've stated my at least optimism here before. Yeah, and I think you can absolutely be optimistic for Miles Sanders this year. I think he's going to see, you know, a really healthy amount of touches, you know, there's him, there's Chuba Hubbard, and that's kind of it. And I think it's fine to say Chuba Hubbard probably gets plenty of the passing down work. And there's some people who seem to get a bit tetchy about that going, oh, you know, Miles Sanders can be a free down passing back. If you buy into that, you're probably buying in into a little that the Eagles didn't know how to use him to his, you know, best because they're one of the best off- best teams in the NFL, and they never sought to do it. Obviously, Jalen Hurts is a dual threat, wasn't mad keen on checking down. Yeah. But Carson Wentz was a quarterback who would check down, and it wasn't really something that happened. But you look at what Miles Sanders had last year, like 1,300 all-purpose yard, nine touchdowns, which was like the 11th most amongst running backs. And you say, okay, he's Frank Reich's guy. They seem very happy with him. They keep talking him up. And Miles Sanders can be one of those players that if you're not a contender, you should be selling him even now or in season and just maybe swapping because he's got good value. Like you could go out and trade for like Marquise Brown or Christian Kirk straight up if you want a wide receiver and to sort of like move some of your assets like that. But yeah, I mean, that offensive line in Carolina was going to be good and I would expect Miles Sanders to be very good this year. Yeah, it's a good offensive line um, and they paid him. 
and there's not much behind him. You mentioned Chuba Hubbard, who I think will be sort of a spell back and, you know, um, pass catching back. I, I agree. But I also think, you know, you go back. I mean, you look at – if you just look at running back target share, he's been pretty good in that offense. I mean, they only I think they only targeted the running back like 60 times last year. As you pointed, the lowest rate, uh, but actually second lowest in raw number too. I mean, just ahead of Chicago – course those two rushing quarterbacks one who didn't even throw the ball at all so you know i mean you know at least hurts was airing it out but you're right lowest target share to the running backs but in his rookie season where he didn't even play a full complement of downs he had uh, 50 catches for over 500 yards too he's been a very explosive player um you know he hit himself in 2021 by you know uh, having almost a thousand yards of total offense, but zero touchdowns, which is incredible. Last year, of course, he explodes for touchdowns on a, a prolific offense. I think it probably settles somewhere in between. He's probably a five to eight touchdown guy this year, but I do think he's been a, look. He's been over five yards a touch, five yards a carry. He's a he's an explosive player. I like him in this offense. If you believe at all in uh, Bryce Young. You can believe in Miles Sanders, I think, is the way it goes. I, I think if you believe in Miles Sanders, I mean, Bryce Young, believe in Miles Sanders. But even if you believe that this Panthers team is going to stink this yeah. year, then it's like, okay, well, that's the path to him seeing a lot of targets. targets. It's, you know, yeah. they could be in that kind of hurry up offense a lot. So, yeah, I think there's definitely paths to it. I know Josh Norris of Underdog, who has a lot of connections to the Panthers, is really high on him this year. And when Josh normally has an inkling about the Panthers, I tend to agree with him and lean into it. You know, what about uh, what about Alvin Kamara and his situation real briefly? Alvin Kamara, Kendra Miller, I think there's a lot of people who are like, now that Kamara did this settling thing or whatever, they think he's not going to get suspended, which is possible, I know. But it's also still possible he does get suspended, I was a little bit lukewarm on Kamara anyway. They, dude, last year they didn't target him like they did. They kind of ran him into the ground, which was an awkward sort of usage. Now they bring in Jamal Williams. You'd think they'd go back to Kamara as a sort of uh, the B back, you know, and target out of the backfield. But I, it's not as prolific as it used to be. I'm, I'm just skeptical about what the hell is going to happen here. When I see uncertainty, I want to try and take advantage. How are you taking advantage of this uh, Saints backfield? I'm just not sure the Saints even want Alvin Kamara there anymore. Obviously, he's a you know really talented player. You go back to the highs with Alvin Kamara, yep. like you know three years ago that Christmas Day game where yes. he had like five six touchdowns. That player just doesn't seem to be there. You look at last year, and it was Taysom Hill getting subbed in near the ten yard line every time. And then you look at they spend good money on Jamal Williams. They drafted Kendra Miller. And yes, four games would be a lot more palatable than eight, which was something which was talked about at one point, and we don't know exactly what's going to happen. But Kamara, for fantasy, he's not as prolific as he used to be. You know, Across the course of his career, he's had 49 rushing touchdowns. Only six of those have come in the last two years, yes. and only two rushing touchdowns last year. So I think for me, the window is kind of closed on Kamara to sell, I think, now, we're not going to see him dominate touches and opportunity share in the way that he did over the last few years. So now, I think if he's on your team, you pretty much just have to accept him or you have to move him as part of the package to just try and get him off without it seeming so obvious. Yeah, I think there may be a little bit of a sell window with the news. You know, you can kind of be like, yo, he's fucking, he's fine, man. He ple- it's it's all good, man. You know, legal shit is handled. You know, everything's fine. You know, and uh, settled and it's over. And that may even be true 
And even if that's true, I'm with you that I'm not so sure. I mean, he played, you know, 15 games last year, scored two touchdowns. I'm, I'm not interested in that. He also used to be five yards a carry, and he was 3.7 and four the last two years. I, again, you can blame it on whatever the hell you want to blame it on, but it's not there. He had, you know, 81 catches three years in a row, then 83, and, and he, you know, 47, 57 last two years, just not there. The the volume and the the situation is not what it used to be. He's getting older. I agree with you that they showed what they want to do with Jamal Williams and Kendra Miller. I think it's a buy Kendra Miller opportunity. Uh, I, I tweeted that. I think it's absolutely go get yourself Kendra Miller. If People are like, well, now that Kamara's back. Look, Kendra was always a year two play anyway to some degree, and a when or if Kamara got uh, suspended, he would mix in with Jamal. But I think I think Kendra's a, a a smash for 2024. Look, it's possible he's also not good, but highly unlikely. He was my RB three in this draft um, as a rookie, um, so I'm I'm all in with Kendra. I would definitely go get him. I saw Scott Connor, someone I great, respect greatly, saying you come get him for a second on my team. I checked to make sure if he had him in the damn league because it was going to happen. Um, so yeah, go get him for a 24 second from Scott Connor. All right. And, and anybody who follows him. So it's the Scott Connor followers who I love. He's my fucking homie against the Jax Falcone followers buying Kendra for the Scott Connor seconds. Go fucking make it happen. Let's see who wins this debate. I love you, bro. There it is. What do you think? You in on Kendra? I mean, I'm in on Kendra. Yeah, definitely. I had Pete Overzet on my best ball show recently talking about how he really likes him at minute because he goes in like the 140 range for best ball, which feels great for, you know, that's an area I like to target if I've been building Hero or Zero RB teams. But this year, yeah, definitely. It doesn't feel out of the question that, like, you know, something else big could happen with this. And yeah. Yeah. You know, like you said, this is an opportunity to buy Kendra a little lower, but Kamara, like, we talked about the touchdowns aren't going to be there, I don't think. The receiving work, Derek Carr has never targeted running backs at, like, a crazy rate, you know. It feels like, you know, we just segue slightly, but, like, Josh Jacobs, I'm much more confident in him seeing career highs in targets this year with Jimmy Checkdown Garoppolo (laughs) than Derek Carr. Like, Derek Carr feels like he can push the ball deep. And I thought it, hey, I thought it was Jimmy errant throw over the middle Garoppolo. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take all of those nicknames. We'll build up a nice portfolio. 49er fans literally nodding their heads right now like, yes, that's his fucking middle name. What the fuck throw across the middle is what his middle name is. What are you doing? We're we're up. What are you doing? Just eat that. No, it's so true. Jimmy's like the it, people always bring out the Jimmy G most efficient quarterback yards per attempt, you know, efficiency oh. EPA per play is this good. But then 49ers fans are like, yes. And then one dagger pick six across the middle to a fucking linebacker. Who's just standing there for no reason. He throws it directly to him. That's what he is. And they get pissed off. And it's, it's, <laughs> they're both true. They're both true. It's so cool. Yes. Brock Purdy lived, or Jimmy G lived so Brock Purdy could, whatever. You know how it goes, yeah. Anyway, (laughs) Jimmy G died so Brock Purdy could live. That's what happened. Um, Speaking of living and dying, uh, we're living and dying with Tony Pollard right now. He has got the hugest ceiling. I I probably, I I drafted A.J. Brown over Tony Pollard in the Scott Fishbowl. It was a, in the third, by the way. I got a CMC cup and then uh, AJ Brown. I almost pulled the pulled the trigger on Pollard. I don't know, man. It was really tough decision. Uh, I'm kind of regretting it. That's how much I think Pollard is is going to have a, such a huge season. Are you with me? Yeah. So I mean, you look at what the Cowboys did last year. They had 32 running plays 
per game. Like they were giving 17 touches to Zeke, 15 to Tony Pollard. To put that in perspective, Latavius Murray averaged more touches per game last year than Tony Pollard. But Tony Pollard got there on efficiency with he was third in big run rate. He had the highest fantasy points over expected at the position. And, you know, it all came together because he was efficient. Even if Tony Pollard is less efficient, even if the Cowboys go out and sign Leonard Fournette, if they sign somebody, I don't care who off the street, even if they bring back Zeke Elliott, Tony Pollard can have 20 touches per game, be slightly less efficient than last year, and still be fantastic. And for a mid-first, I think if you're a contender, that's absolutely a bet which I'd be willing to make. Yeah, I love it. I, I love I love Pollard. I, I just think the upside is there, and we've seen the floor playing as a backup player, finishing as the RB7 or whatever it was. So, yeah, he can he can get there no matter what his volume is just because he's so explosive and that offense is great. You know, and I think, um, you know, there was wh- whoever it was uh, last week. Was, was it last week that we talked? I always forget when we talked about shit. But, you know, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was Jordan McNamara. It was like the Dallas Cowboys have d- – the only thing that they've done that says they're not going to pass the ball is said they're not going to pass the ball. But everything else they've done, you know, cutting Zeke and bringing in Cooks and all the rest of it, you know, all – yeah. They should be a very pass centric offense. They got rid of Zeke, and now Pollard is the is the lead back. They're not going to just sit there and like grind it out with Pollard. So either they're bringing someone else in to grind it out, or they're making a mistake grinding it out with Pollard. So I'm going to ask this one very simple. You get to say one of these two words: smash or pass. Alexander Madison. Pass. Yes. Yes. I think in 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 best ball, I'm absolutely there this year. I think that's fine. But I'm in out. dynasty, I'm out. I think it's. <laughs> I mean, it's tricky because like it's such a small sample size. You know, we're looking at a player who, this is a second contract. You know, two year, seven million deal per year. Yeah. And in the six games, over fifty percent of snaps, he's averaged twenty two point fifteen PPR points. But the value people are projecting. Sorry, I know you said smash or pass, but yeah. Best ball, yeah. You don't sometimes. Let me ask you. I was going to say you're not real. Look, best ball is portfolio. So of course, there's a couple spots where you have to you have to take them. I I see the upside. Look, as a best ball player, as a best ball player, you have to say, okay, what's possible? You know, (laughs) ceiling, floor. What are all the ranges of outcomes? What could happen? I see that. So in best ball, you have to be like, I'm going to hedge here. This is a Madison team. I'm just going to put them on there that way in case somehow or another this shitty back who's never done nothing, never commanded targets, never commanded opportunity, has been like under four yards of carry, is awful, wasn't a very good prospect, all that. If he somehow lucks into 300 touches, it's possible he could stumble his way to 10-plus touchdowns, of course. But other than that ridiculous outcome, I don't see it. No, uh, and was that's that was that a good take? Was that fun? That was fun. Thank you. <laughs> that was good, right? You know, just anyway. So, what do you think about Alexander? <laughs> like, I, I just I've seen this movie before where we're like, you know, it's like we're trying to crown. It's Justin Forsett or whatever. Like, yes. right? Doesn't it feel like Justin yes. Forsett? It's like, no, no, he's gonna be the the guy in Baltimore. It's fucking Forsett. No, it's I mean, not. You know. Yeah, and it's just too often with running backs, we immediately make the leap to being, well, they have to do it. And go back to the year where J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards both tore their ACL injury, and all of a sudden it's Tyson Williams is the guy you need. And Tyson Williams, you've got 
a brief window for Tyson Williams. Well, you could trade him for an absolute fortune because it was like that Ravens running scheme. It's going to be really good. Any running back can look great. And then it turned out that Tyson Williams just actually wasn't a good player. Right. Wasn't even good enough to be ahead of likes of, was it Latavius Murray, Dusty yeah. Le'Veon Bell, and uh, Dev- they were Devon searching Freeman, for solutions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were searching for solutions. Now, I don't think that Alexander, Alexander Madison is better than Tyson Williams. I Just yeah. for the record. So <laughs> I think you would also agree, but it's another cautionary tale of like next man up, definitely going to be the same as the other guy. It's not how it goes. You know, I mean, at some point, He's either going to have to revert and become a player that is able to, you know, see four and a half, five yards of carry, which he did. He was four and a half his first two years. I'll give him that again on on less touches, too. I mean, he's really never commanded touches except as a backup, right? As a backup, they'd put him in and be like, and he was, a. I always say he's an efficient, like, he's a well-rounded player. Like he's, oh, but I don't, I've seen a lot of situations where it's like he's a very bad decision maker as a runner. I just don't. He he had zero explosive plays, so they're not going to get anything explosive from him. I just don't see the value. I, I said this, and maybe you'll like this one. I said all the other three backs, the Kenny Nwangu, um, Dwayne McBride, and Ty, Ty Chandler. None of them are better than him, maybe at everything, but each of them is better than him at something. Like he's not the best on the team at anything except being well-rounded. Like Dwayne McBride is, you know, unless he's a complete moron is obviously a better straight up between the tackles, rip your face off runner. Like he's explosive and strong. And like, you know, you get my point. Like Ty, Ty Chandler's a better sort of, he's faster, better pass down back, etc. I think all of them are better at something. He's just sort of, the guy there. I just, I don't know, man. If, if there were any sort of quality backup behind him, I think we would, we would be, you know, making, dude, you can make a case for Ty Chandler if you want. I, I don't know if I can. I mean, yeah. I, it's hard. So last week I did a show with Kyle Dvorak of Roto World and he brought up the Vikings backfield as an opportunity for, you know, ambiguity and all the opportunity there. And we were talking about how in the next month when training camp opens, one of those could see their, value spike if they have a clear RB2. But in the process, I was trying to put some slides together because it was on YouTube where it's been nice and visual. It's like Dwayne McBride coming in off like 1,400 yards in college. Yeah. And you can, you know, you can sell it. Ty Chandler, I think he had 0.6 PPR points in his rookie season and touched the ball three times. Like, it's like, well, we just, we just don't know. Right. You know, Kenny Nwangu, He's going to be active because he's one of those players. He plays on special, special teams. teams. He's one of the most explosive returners in the league. So, okay, if you're taking a bet on any of them, at least you know Nwangu is going to be active on game day. So I don't mind the idea of trying to acquire him cheap or pick him up off waivers if he's there. Yeah. If he's in deep leagues, just you know, doing something where you can acquire him as part of a bigger trade. Because, yeah, I mean, if Alexander Madison gets injured – then it really will be a running back by committee, and that's where one of the more explosive players. Yeah. The only reason I like Alexander Madison is because I don't like any of these rubbers behind him. You know, it's <laughs> no, really, it's like because when I go, oh, Madison sucks, then this guy's going to play ahead of him. I'm like, mm, probably not. Probably not any of these guys are going to play ahead of him. So that's where I sort of lean. But you know, who's to say they don't bring in Fournette? You know, and it's like you know, it's just I'm not even saying that someone's going to rip his job and he's going to go back to the bench. I'm just saying that. I don't think he's going to be this like top, you know, top 15 running back at the end of the season where you're like, dude, fucking Madison. I mean, it is possible. 
I will give you that. I just don't like betting on it because of all the other things that that scare me about him. The 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 depth chart and his sort of projected opportunity, that's very attractive. I'll give you that much. Give you that much. Moving on. Give me away away from Alexander Madison. I don't know what to do. By the way, I can't sell him for shit. I'm in a league with a bunch of people. I offer like a I, I spam the whole league. Alexander Madison for a 24 second. Everybody told me to go f myself basically. Well, that's that's the problem with these running backs because it's like you know we've been there, we've seen it as we kind of talked about. It's like you know the market is hedging against it for now and. Maybe it's one way, yeah, the season opens up and it's like people go, oh, holy shit, Madison is actually being treated as the complete Dalvin Cook of this year. And they are going to give him 18 touches a game and all that. That's probably going to be when it's easier to shift him. But yeah, right sure. now, everybody's yeah. just so skeptical of him. Yeah, that makes a good point, actually. I like that. Uh, speaking of being skeptical, geez Louise, Antonio Gibson. What What's going on with Antonio Gibson? Is he finally have a coaching staff? You mentioned it earlier, like... Uh, players who their coaching staff likes. He certainly was not exactly liked fielding punts last year. Is he liked now, and are we liking him going forward? I think you have to make the kind of – you have to work out whether Eric Bieniemy is going to like Antonio Gibson as the new offensive coordinator in Washington. And part of me thinks that I wouldn't be surprised to see Ron Rivera – you know, gone. This new coach, uh, new ownership are going to come in at some point. You don't pay six billion to see mediocrity. You know, you want things to be interesting. You want them to be fun. Gibson, it seems really easy to project him for the receiving part of a workload. You know, he averaged three point nine targets per game last year compared to Brian Robinson's one point zero. But neither of them had a positive rushing EPA. Right. Uh, Brian Robinson had 3.9 yards per carry at Gibson's 3.7. Yeah. So it's not like we can even say Gibson shined. It was just the coaching staff wanted Brian Robinson to be a thing. And now you're telling me that Brian Robinson's going to go into this season without getting shot, hopefully, touch wood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and Antonio right. Gibson is still going to be okay, we know that he could be this receiving back, but then what, Sam Howell has more rushing upside probably than Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke. So is he someone who's going to target the running backs as much? Yeah, yeah. I think Gibson's one of those players, we could be doing this a year from now and talking about Gibson was an absolute steal at this point, or Gibson could be one of these players a year from now where he doesn't have a team and he's waiting to sign somewhere. Totally. And it's a real struggle. So Yeah, totally. I, Gibson, for me, is somebody – I have a team that is an absolute stinker of a team. It got past the point of needing to rebuild, and I'd let it get into decay. And now I've had to make some quite aggressive moves to try and build up some value, You know, take shots on players whose value could really spike. And he's the kind of player that I'd be looking out for on a team like that, where it's like, okay, if I play this one right and I can pick him up for a nice buy low – is he somebody that I can spin even two months from now, three months from now, and just get a slightly higher return on my pick to just accumulate that value steadily? Yeah, totally. Yep, that makes sense. I mean, it, it is the dynasty quandary of all time. Like when, you know, there's so many players like this where you're like, you just pointed out the the ceiling case and the floor case, and they're, you know, exalted. You know, you, you could be so excited or it's terrifying. It's like, yeah, absolutely nothing. Speaking of floor and ceiling, my boy. <laughs> The boy I love. Everybody knows this is a Gabe Davis podcast brought to you by Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis, new situation, no. Make or break, yes. I think maybe in some ways it is a make or break, but I I love the Gabe Davis value right now. 
like we are so fickle. This is a this is another dynasty sort of like, and also just fantasy. Like last year, he got steamed, right? He got fucking steamed. <laughs> like there was so much steam coming off him, it was ridiculous. I I couldn't believe it. It was such a wild time for me to be alive because I was this sort of noted Gabe Davis person. And I was like, yeah, this is fucking way too expensive for Gabe Davis. This is clearly too much, even though I did buy him in the Scott Fishbowl for that value. But um, it's too much for Gabe Davis. But now it's like, dude, he's going in the 40s wide receiver. What is he on on underdog right now? I feel like he's... So he's, he's kind of like, yeah, so he's kind of like in the round eight range on underdog and on DraftKings, you get him round nine. But like, yeah, so last year he was... Pushed up as high as round three. Four, yeah, three. Uh, Jesus, man, yeah. It's like, what do we do? That, yeah, it did. And the arguments on Twitter, they got, you know, families were torn apart. It was difficult. And, <laughs> yeah. and really, it feels like people aren't in, taking into account that he played with a high ankle sprain for the vast majority of last year. And really, he still kind of did okay. Like, he delivered four weekly finishes inside the top 13 half PPR wide receivers, mm. you know. I think he had a wide receiver one overall week. Yeah. But now in Dynasty, you're talking what? Like, if some places I've seen him drop below wide receiver 50, like you look at the expert consensus ranking on Fantasy Pros, and I think he's wide receiver 45 on there, you can pick him up for like a mid second round pick. But like the Bills, they brought in Dalton Kincaid. They haven't brought DeAndre Hopkins in yet. Yeah. And obviously, if that happens, yes, you can probably ding him quite a bit. Yes. But everything the Bills have done has been good for Gabe Davis's value so far, in yes. my opinion. That's right. Yeah. Outside of DeAndre Hopkins, which would be a death knell in a lot of ways, because Gabe ran all the all the routes. I mean, that was one of the things that one of the things I that led me to Gabe Davis was that, well, you pointed out coaches liked him and they still do. The second season, Emmanuel Sanders coming in and stealing his lunch money season was the one that threw me off. But like his rookie season, they 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 forced him onto the field. They really did. Like first game, they were like, nope. We they forced him an end zone target like right off the get. Like they were trying to get him involved. Like I think they like Gabe Davis. I think he's probably a hardworking player. He's a good blocker. Like he does good things. Like he's not explosive. Like he's not a four three guy. You know, he, he's a downfield field stretcher who isn't exactly prolific down there so he is limited that's why he went in the fourth round he's a limited player he's not like this amazing i remember you know it's funny when when he came out kenny galladay was good that's why kenny galladay got this big contract do you remember when kenny kenny galladay was good and i said dude i said i said gabe davis is kenny galladay and people were like dude what the you're a fucking idiot you know and i may be more prophetic than I even know is all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one where that I think that most people who have Gabe Davis rostered have probably believed in him to this point. Like you've probably haven't gone out and bought him at a point, and you're a little unsure. I think most people who've sat through the good have sat through the bad at this point, and it's he's probably not somebody who you're going to see traded a lot this off season. Yeah, so let me ask you a question. In Dynasty, who do you prefer? This is a tough one. Ready? Calvin Ridley or Amari Cooper? I'd go Calvin Ridley. I think the upside is slightly higher going forward. I think, you know, Deshaun Watson, there could be a clear case where he just actually never gets good again in terms of where we saw before all the incidents off the field. Calvin Ridley, yes, it's projecting something, but like, I've seen Calvin Ridley as a top five dynasty wide receiver. Amari Cooper, he came off like 
almost career highs in yardage last year. But the Browns have already added more wide receivers, Elijah Moore, you know, we drafted Cedric Tillman, we've got uh, I'm blanking on his name now, but Donovan Peoples-Jones, who had a bit of an average season. And it feels like that offense could spread things around more. Whereas, yeah, I'm just just buying the Jags apart from Travis Etienne. I just, you know, the Calvin Ridley um, ADP is not something I like very much. I did some two people that do some projections and I talked to both of them, both chalk and Billy Musio. And they were both kind of like, it's going to be hard for Calvin Ridley to see ceiling with, you know, look, Zay Jones was a target earner. Evan Ingram was a target earner. Christian Kirk target earner. That's three other target earners on the team. It's not like they were just default guys. These are actually guys who can earn targets on their own insert Calvin Ridley it's he's a target earner I'm not going to say he isn't but is he that much of a you know his does he have that much of his own gravity where he changes everybody else down so that he elevates above them I don't see that in him as a player I mean I know he was very good you know at one point in time but he's also now like 28 um you know he's getting older he's been out of the game for two years new offense what's the old adage you know new wide receiver going to a new team uh is a little bit you know, scary sometimes unless they're a super alpha. Well, is he a super alpha? That's where I have some questions. What do you think? No, I I think your points are entirely fair. And I think it's one where I don't have, when people push back on Calvin Ridley, I, it's not something where I go, no, no, you're wrong. You're an idiot. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe you don't believe in his upside. I think it's just one for me where Amari Cooper, his like, particularly down the stretch, I think about like, Games down the stretch, who's going to come up big? And with Cleveland, I just always worry about the weather and the game yeah. environment. You know, if their defense turns up great, then it could definitely be tricky. I think if you'd said to me, do I want Calvin Ridley over, say, Traylon Burks? I'd probably bet on Traylon Burks in that situation, even though I'm not a big Traylon Burks fan. I think, you know, uh, Calvin Ridley or Mike Williams, I might go with Mike Williams sometimes because yeah. – of reasons I talked about earlier. So, yeah, it's it's not one I have a, a strong feel for either way. I think I probably have more Amari Cooper in Dynasty than I do have Calvin Ridley because, obviously, we've seen the massive fluctuations over the last two years, and it was kind of hard not to get out at points where there were cell windows. 28-year-old Calvin Ridley or 24-year-old Gabe Davis? I mean, at that point, if, if somebody was coming to me trying to buy Calvin Ridley and I could get Gabe Davis plus stuff in the deal. I mean, you could probably get, what, two wide receivers for the price of Kirk with, you know, uh, sorry, Ridley with the way that people are valuing it. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, if I could get something like, I don't know, like say Mike Evans plus Gabe Davis and throw in maybe, you know, a third going back on top of Calvin Ridley or something like that to get that, I I think that's not... (laughs) Out of this world, I think that you know somebody might say that. I think they're pretty close. I mean, you know, obviously the problem with Gabe is you know his shelf life could be shorter than Calvin Ridley's. You know, so the age is sort of a trick question in there, right? You know, because there's no guarantee that at 28, Gabe Davis is still a thing. Um, it's possible, and if he can play, look, he was he, he's got an opportunity. That's an upside play right there. Gabe Davis is an absolute upside play. That if you buy into Gabe Davis this year, your value can go up. It, it's hard for it to go down so much because, like, 
it's already kind of down. Like you say, wide receiver 50, like, what are you worried about? Like, honestly, you know what I mean? It's like, that's a really good uh, player price to buy. I always said too, with, with Gabe Davis, all my shares were very, very inexpensive. I never, I never bought him when he was, I never fucking third round. Are you crazy? Like, no way. I never paid that. So, you know, ultimately I don't hate players. I hate ADPs. If Calvin Ridley were wide receiver 50 right now, I'd be like, dude, what are we doing? We're sleeping on a guy could get a hundred targets, but I've seen some people put him in the top 10 dynasty wide receivers and shit like that. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And you know, he's going in the top 20 wide receivers on underdog way too rich for me. I I don't think I've drafted him once in a, in a, in a best ball. Yeah. And I think just, it kind of goes to talking about what kind of players you want to buy in dynasty. So like, you know, the buy window for Calvin Ridley, if you believed he could get back to this, the buy window was whilst he was suspended. It was like, you right, know, for sure. It, it was, yeah, there's no sense in going and doing it now. And I wouldn't take him in a start because I think, you know, why take him when I could take, you know, there's a lot of projection involved with Calvin Ridley. Yeah. And why would I not rather make that projection on a younger player who's coming out? I mean, yeah. At, a, seen, at ADP, exactly. At ADP, because if you can buy him after you have to buy a guy like, if you're buying them around Amari Cooper and stuff, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like you got to get him down in that range, you know, because there's so many players that can just easily pass him. If he's just like, if he's just another one of the guys on the team, you know I mean? If he performs like Christian Kirk, you're not like Christian Kirk. I mean, that's not, that's not a win at his ADP is all I'm saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. You know, it's like, again, if, if he were just a little bit cheaper, I'd be like, dude, fucking Calvin Ridley could be a like nice steal, especially on a weekly basis. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, price too high. I mean, well, Calvin Ridley, like, and I'm going to reference keep trade cut, which I know some people get up in arms about, but no, like, I like you, you, know, it, it, you know, it's, it crowdsources a lot of opinions and I think it's worth referencing now and again. Yeah. They have Chris Godwin, like a fraction above Calvin Ridley. And I would absolutely trade Calvin Ridley straight up for Chris Godwin every single time. Yes. You know, that's one I would, yeah, that one I wouldn't even need to think about. Right. That's what I, that, there's my point, right? So, like, Chris Godwin for sure over Amari Cooper and Calvin Ridley, right? So I, I put Calvin yeah. Ridley back into, I think it's a conversation with Amari. And, in, and honestly, what about Mike Evans? Mike Evans versus Ridley? I mean, I know this Baker situation is not very good, but like, you know, Mike Evans has been a stud every fucking year. And we're going to just say that all of a sudden Calvin Ridley is going to have more good seasons from here forward than Mike Evans. I don't know that. Yeah. And with Mike Evans, you, you can say, okay, well, the books, they have Godwin, they have Evans. And that's about, it. that's about it. You know, if you want to talk, we talked about the Jags and how many great options they have. It's definitely trickier for Ridley to become, dominant in that offense than it probably will be for Mike Evans, even with a terrible quarterback like Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Evans is going to have, you know, five to eight touchdowns. There's going to be five to eight touchdowns going the other way when Baker throws shitty passes towards him. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the cornerback playing against Evans is going to have five to eight too. Um, Speaking of, all right, one more quick one and then then we'll dunk on, dunk on someone uh, before we leave. So Darren Waller, I love this one. Uh, Darren Waller is like, uh, I mean, he's, he feels like he could fucking blow up here. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't love the passing offense there. I think it's way overrated. Daniel Jones right now, I think, is steamed up a bit too much for me too. Another story for another day. But I just feel like they spent on Waller. He was hurt. Like, obviously, Darren, if he stays healthy, Waller. But if he stays healthy, Darren Waller projects as a you know 120-plus target 
No? No, yeah, 100%. I think, you know, you look at what the Giants have got. They traded a 100th pick to get him from the Raiders. No team targeted their tight end position less than the Giants in 2022. And part of that was injury. You know, Daniel Bellinger was out. Yeah. You know, they didn't have anyone to target. But also this Giants team, they know they've got work to do. They went out and they signed like 400 slot receivers. <laughs> yeah. But what they need is that big guy. And that is Darren Waller. Darren Waller can play in line. He can play out wide. Why? He can play down. Yeah. And he can win on the boundary. Like. He's a guy who's earned targets, and I do believe that targets are earned rather than just given. And, you know, over the last four seasons, he's averaged 7.5 targets, even in 2022, which was a really miserable year for him. You know, he was dealing with, like, injuries, competing with Zombie Adams and Hunter Renfro. He still averaged over five targets per game. If you're telling me that that's, like, the floor for Darren Waller in this Giants offense, and I can go and pick him up for what, like a mid-second at the minute? And he could be, I mean, I've seen people projecting Darren Waller as high, people I respect as well, people projecting him to be as high as like the tight end two in this off, um, this season. Then yeah, that's that's a bet which I'd be interested to make, particularly if you're playing in a tight end premium league. Yeah, you're right. He, for his career, you know, taking into consideration his bad years, his early years when he was a wide receiver, like literally for his entire career, He's averaged six six targets a game. So, you know, yeah, he was well above that, obviously, during the during the heyday. He had 117 targets in 2019, 145 in 2020, and then 93 in only 11 games. Uh, in 2021, 2022, throwaway game, I mean, throwaway season, obviously, as you point out. And the question is, I think it's very simple. Is he still viable or not? Well, obviously, the Giants think he is, right? So... I mean, we got to think he's still at least close to the 2021 version and that the 2022 version was an injured version, which it was. And yeah, I mean, I think he's, you know, 125 targets, 12, 12 yards of catch, you know, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm really excited for him. You know, eight, eight yards, a, uh, a target, I think is, is well within line. I, I would project him comfortably, you know, in the 125 target close to a thousand yards and who knows on touchdowns. Yeah, I think it was also pretty obvious he didn't get on with the coaching staff last year in Las Vegas. Uh, you know, it was quite a few rumors about differences of opinions, and then it seemed like uh, Derek Carr was miffed with him at times, thinking he wasn't trying to push himself to recover as quickly as he could from injuries. So fresh start on a team that is crying out for somebody to just earn those targets. Absolutely all aboard Darren Waller. There we go. All right, and we're going to end here in a moment, but I do need you to tell me, uh, I don't even know what the question is anymore. It's just every show it, you wrote about him in your article. So this is your fault too, that it's coming up. Okay. This is on you, not on me. I didn't do this. This is your show sheet, not mine, but I do want to know how bad is it going to get for Trey Lance and will he shine? They Listen, to, let me just say it this way. I don't know if you saw on Twitter today, they said that, uh, and, and there were people complain, you know, getting upset. They said they're going to maybe see some 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 situations where Brock Purdy plays with Trey Lance at the same time. And I was the first to say that Trey Lance is easily going to be. That's why they signed Sam Darnold because Trey Lance is going to take over the Kyle Uzcheck role and is going <laughs> to is going to shine as a Pro Bowl fullback in this league. I mean, Trey Lance, like. Look, I'm a Brit. I've 
been over to America and been to college games. And one of the teams I went to see was North Dakota State. It's way back in like 2009. So I had, I've always had a soft spot for players coming out of North Dakota. And when Trey Lance came out, it felt perfect to me. He felt like the kind of player that, okay, you put him in with that Shanahan scheme with a good offensive line, with weapons, and it can really happen. Yeah. But you look at it now, and he's age 23. But since the start of the 2018 college season, he's thrown a total of 419 passes. That's a number which last year, 16 quarterbacks passed more than that in 2022 alone. So it's really difficult to build a case for Trey Lance where people just can't immediately shit all over it. But then the flip side of that is Trey Lance has more career dropbacks in the NFL than Jordan Love. And nobody has any questions about how bad Jordan Love is going to be. It's just I, like... I have plenty of questions about how bad Jordan Love is going to be. You, <laughs> Sorry, I, I have plenty of that. <laughs> yeah, no. it's, you are it's on like, the wrong you know... podcast, sir. I think you need to check your ID. <laughs> it's like Jordan Love has just assumed that he can be this yeah. fine star there in the sure NFL. There sure is a lot of he... Jordan Love love for sure. Yeah. But meanwhile, Trey Lance, it's like, oh, no, he's a bust for him on Scrappy. But what have we seen? Like, you know, one game where he broke his leg or whatever the injury was, one game in the monsoon. Then you go back to the rookie year where he was dealing with uh, injury there. He had a broken thumb that was changing how he had to throw the ball, so he wasn't able to step in. Trey Lance has absolutely not had a fair crack at things. That's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. I I agree. Look, all last year, here's the thing, Tom. Last year, all I was saying is, are we sure he's any good? Like, before the season, people were like, no, fucking here we go. I was like, are we – really? Like, he was first round. He was drafted in the first round of startups. Like, I mean, this was a guy who was – I had the 101 in one league, and I was so set that I wanted Trey Lance that I traded out from there for – absolute pennies on the dime to let a Jags fan take Trevor Lawrence so that I could take Trey Lance and I was convinced it would be fine. And what I would say is that I did that because I had Josh Allen and Joe Burrow, so I was confident that I was okay. But, yeah, I mean, that's probably one of the worst dynasty decisions I've ever made. Yeah, I mean, look, I was was skeptical. I have drafted him in, I think, two spots of, of my leagues, but yeah, I was not all in and only because I'm not sure, you know, it's like, I do see the upside. He's a tantalizing prospect, size, speed specimen. As it turned out though, we, we saw him on the field. He's not a speed specimen. He's not. No, he has. So that's been a a false promise. He's more of a, maybe a rushing touchdown scorer, but he's not going to, he's not going to run all over the, he's not Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts. He's not this type of player. Um, so those those quarterbacks, it's like you see them in the scheme that they were being pushed to the outside. It's like, you know, you run the RPO, you run those kind of plays so that the quarterback could get there. But Shanahan felt convinced that the best way to run Trey Lance was up the gut, and that's yeah. ultimately what got him injured. Yep. But, yeah, he seemed unconvinced by the speed. And if you're a dual threat who isn't particularly lightning fast, then you're not keeping defenses honest that way. If your throwing is erratic, as I think it's fair to say Trey Lance is throwing from all the reports we've had from beat reporters as well, it's not consistently good would be (laughs) very, you know. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, well, what is it that Trey Lance specializes in now after all this time? And yeah, I I just, I can't make an argument in favor anymore. This year, like I've been 
just writing so much Trey Lance propaganda over the last couple of years. And I've talked him up and I've taken large stands in Dynasty and Best Ball on him. And this was the offseason where I diversified and got away with it. But I could see that the writing was slightly there last year. And I picked up Brock Purdy on waivers and a bunch of leagues. And thankfully, I've kind of found a way out of it. Yeah, I think what will happen is Trey Lance will be throwing to Gabe Davis for the, like, Stampeders or whatever the fucking USFL team is, right? (laughs) And we can both take our victory lap then. But you know what what both Jordan Love and Trey Lance have in common, don't you? Go on. Christian Watson. Yes. And I'm telling you that Christian Watson is going to get two bums a lot of money, it sounds like. And Christian Watson's <laughs> one of those kind of really fun players. It's like, even if it feels a little tricky to project him to be a star-wide receiver this year because so much of his Tied points came Love, yeah. on. Yeah. You know, high value stuff, and even with Jordan Love being Jordan Love, yeah, Christian Watson is absolutely the kind of player that I don't mind drafting a bunch of or taking shots on because he's going to be fun. And yeah. at the end of the day, yeah. what are we doing if we can't have fun and enjoy it? And if you can't put red zone on a Sunday and just be like, "There's that fucking guy I love who's just really fun. This is great. I'm having a good time." I mean, that's fantasy football. I'm just saying he did get Trey Lance drafted third overall if he can just put together enough games this year where like jordan love can get a contract because ironically jordan love is up for a contract now too by the way because he's been on the bench this whole fucking rookie contract so he's not even a value that way but if he can somehow just give jordan love enough like you know shitty throw deep throw somehow and christian watson's of course wide open because he's the fastest guy in the world and scores all these touchdowns and somehow gets jordan love erroneously paid as well Trey Lance and Jordan Love, I mean, they'll both owe him so much money. It'll be the greatest accomplishment a wide receiver has ever made in, you know, in, in, in NFL history to get these two guys all the money. So Christian Watson, MVP for getting two rubbers paid. That's my take. That's my take. I'm, I'm ready for it. Uh, you know, I'm not going to argue against it because, like I said, he's, just, he's a fun guy and <laughs> – I'd love to see it happen. Uh, by the way, you you can you can DM me anytime you want to shit on Jordan Love. Look, I've said it like Jordan Love was a not a very good prospect, but he's also not that guy anymore. He's a guy who's you know two years removed from from being a college prospect, or three years, whatever, and like he's had an opportunity to grow, mature, change, learn. So he's a different player, and so I'm actually curious to see, but I'm certainly not ready to crown him, and I'm very very dubious. And I I have stated that you know I think Jordan Love helps the Packers be in line for Caleb Williams. I really believe that, you know, because, I mean, you can't with a straight face say that Jordan Love is a top 20 quarterback in the league, at least as of right now. I think he's a bottom five quarterback and has a chance to, you know, go from there. But, you know, at this particular point, he's nobody who's done nothing ever, not even in college. I mean, he the only thing he's ever done is get erroneously drafted in the first round. We've seen that before. Yeah, and I mean, you look back at the contract offer that he took. Jordan Love is one of the few players in the NFL who didn't want to bet on himself. Rather than push towards the franchise tag by you know, playing on the fifth-year option, yeah. he was quite content to just take a, a deal which, okay, it got him a little bit more, slightly more guaranteed money and possibly a little more security. But at quarterback position, security is always wafer thin. Yes. And, you know, the team clearly didn't believe in him because they paid him. They wanted to pay him this deal rather than have him pay, play on the fifth-year option or risk going towards the franchise tag. 
And Jordan Love didn't seem to believe in himself enough. So, yeah, if Jordan Love's not standing there banging the drum saying, I know what I'm worth and stuff, then then how can we? Yeah. A la Kirk Cousins, who was like, I've got this shit. You watch me. I'll play <laughs> yes. on a $40 million deal. One year, $40 million every year, and I'll just be a fucking hired gun. I love it. Um, tell the people where they can find your awesome work. I know it's at Fantasy Pros, but the best way to sort of track you down and check out your awesome work. Like I said, folks, I'm not joking around. I love the articles. They were a ton of fun. Go check them out. He, you can tell he's smart, got got his shit together. Love Tom Strack, and thank you so much for coming on. Tell the people where they can find your awesome work, brother. Well, thanks, Jack. Like, honestly, it's just uh, these two hours have absolutely flown. <laughs> it's I told been you, fantastic talking with you. Like, a, a really good conversation. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at NFL underscore T Strack. Uh, write Fancy Pros. Uh, have a YouTube channel, The Fantasy Sanctuary, where we cover everything Dynasty, Best Ball, Redraft, DFS, a lot of visual stuff. So if you like watching stuff on YouTube, I would say come check us out. We put a lot of effort into the graphics and how we do stuff on there. And yeah, just ready for the season. Yeah, absolutely. Tom, thank you so much. I'm so glad to have you as a, as a new friend and happy to have you on the show, brother. So, pleasure's all mine. On behalf of everybody here at The Undrafted, on behalf of everybody here at The Undroppables, the generous, generous team at The Undroppables. Thank you, everybody. On behalf of the greatest podcast producer to ever walk the streets of Philadelphia, Michael P. Duncan. You have been joined by Tom Strachan. I am Jax Falcone, and we are out. Out.